This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate, which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. And Barbaro gets the test. Flashy Bull has run up into second. Barbaro reaches for the final furlong. And Barbaro leads by a length and a half. Great Point is charging from the back of the pack. Barbaro is in front. Great Point tries to pass them all, but he can't pass Barbaro. The Holy Bull stake goes to Barbaro. The leader is Sparty Jones. Two down automatic second. Pro Prado to the outside. They drive for the wire. Smarty Jones leads it. Here's two down automatic. Pro Prado. Smarty Jones continues undefeated wins the Southwest by three quarters. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Bernardini in front, leaving Luxembourg in his wake. Coming down to the final furlong now. Javier Castellano lost the whip on Bernardini, but he's not going to need it. They've got a four-length lead as Doc Cheney comes up to be second on the outside. Handwritten, not willingly, through the final furlong is Bernadini to a three-length lead. They're in the final furlong, and Mucho Gusto now pours it on, opens up three. Easy shot, Gunmetal Gray will battle for second. Mucho Gusto, impressive in victory, cruises home by five easy lengths. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. This is the show that launched a network, and it is all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you spending your morning with me on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you access your podcast. Well, how about Punxsutawney Phil? A lot of people, huge fans of, of Phil out there today. No shadow, predicting an earlier spring. That is good news as we barrel toward the first Saturday in May. And today is going to feel a little bit like spring in terms of the the great racing action that's on the racetrack. It'll kind of warm you up just a little bit. Four Derby points races, three Oaks points races, all of those awarding the winner 20 points toward a spot in the starting gate of those respective races. You have the Holy Bull at Gulfstream which will give us our first look at juvenile champion Fierceness in his three-year-old debut. You have the Withers at Aqueduct, the Southwest at Oaklawn, and the Robert P. Lewis at Santa Anita. All of those derby points races. And then on the ladies' side, the forward Gale at Gulfstream, the Martha Washington at Oaklawn, and the La Virgenis at Santa Anita tomorrow. In total, 15 graded stakes are slated to be contested throughout the U.S. this weekend. As my good friend and longtime partner here on the network, Jude Feld, used to say, time to grab your hemorrhoid cushion. Get a seat on the couch and get ready for a full day of handicapping and betting. You're not going to want to move very much today. And I'm going to do my best to get you ready for those big races over the next three hours with a a star-studded lineup of guests, including Hall of Fame jockey John Velasquez, who will join me at 9 o'clock Eastern He will be aboard 
juvenile champion fierceness in that Holy Bowl later today. Looking forward to that visit with the great Johnny V. You're going to hear from trainers Brad Cox, Joe Orsino, Robbie Medina, and Gary Mandela, who will all share their thoughts on their top three-year-olds in today's stakes races. And Hall of Fame jockey Eddie Delahousse is going to be with me to remember the day he defeated the legendary Bill Shoemaker in Shoe's final career race. That race, named the Legends Last Ride Handicap, was contested February 3rd, 1990 at Santa Anita, 34 years ago today. And Eddie D will be with me to remember that unpopular victory, which came aboard a horse named Exemplary Leader. Shoemaker, by the way, finished fourth aboard a horse named Patchy Ground Fog in that race. That's a couple of cool trivia questions you can stump your friends with later today. And Delahousse was asked by L.A. Times writer Bill Christine after that race if there were any sentimental considerations coming down the stretch. And I loved his answer. He replied, I always ride to win, no matter what the race. Today wasn't any exception. It's just too bad this wasn't a million-dollar race, so I could have gotten even with Shoe for what happened in Chicago. And, of course, he was referring to one of the greatest races in the history of the sport, the 1981 Arlington Million, when Bill Shoemaker and John Henry got up to beat Eddie Delahousse and the Bart in the final jump in what was the first ever million-dollar race. Can't wait for that interview with Eddie D coming up in just a few minutes again, 8.15 Eastern. Well, how about the news that came out this week regarding Bob Baffert's owners? You talk about drawing a line in the sand. This is a significant line in the sand with Churchill Downs and the Kentucky Derby opting to keep their top derby prospects with Baffert instead of moving them to another trainer, which would have been required by last Monday if those horses and those owners wanted to compete in the Kentucky Derby. Bob Baffert continuing to be suspended by Churchill Downs through the end of this year. The move pretty much guarantees that those horses and those owners will not be participating in this year's run for the Roses. And I throw the words pretty much in there because there is still a scenario which could play out where Churchill Downs decides they want those horses in the Kentucky Derby to ensure that that race, the premier race in the world, has the best 23-year-olds competing against each other on the first Saturday of May. And because of that, they lift the ban. That is a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but it is a possibility. Among the horses who, as of now, will not be at Churchill Downs on the first Saturday of May are today's Robert B. Lewis favorite, Nisos, and grade one winners, Muth and Prince of Monaco. And look, there are, there are several layers to this decision and several ramifications to this move. One of the more significant ones is the way this is going to end up affecting the derby chances of other hopefuls who are competing against the army of top Bob Baffert three-year-olds in the upcoming prep races, including today. For example, let's say Nisos wins today's Robert B. Lewis as expected. He's going to be the favorite. Let's say he wins the way he's supposed to. And let's say Baffert's other horses... Coach Prime and Wind Me Up finished second and third 
respectively. The way the point system is structured, the horse who finishes fourth behind those three in that scenario is only going to earn fourth place points toward a spot in the starting gate. Remember, Baffert's horses are still ineligible to earn any points toward a spot in the starting gate because he's suspended. So in the scenario I just laid out for you, the horses that would finish first, second, and third, all trained by Bob Baffert, will be awarded zero points. Those points simply evaporate. They go away. They're not redistributed in any way to the horse that finishes fourth. That is huge. And that is going to have huge ramifications across the board in terms of the decision-making with many of the owners of the other horses who are going to have to compete against a strong Bob Baffert contingent. Like him or hate him. Believe him, don't believe him, however you feel about Bob Baffert. If you're on his side, if you're not on his side. He is going to be a major player in this year's Kentucky Derby. Whether he is there on the first Saturday in May or not, that's what this decision by his owners has now done. Does this lead to more owners and trainers sending their horses to places like Gulfstream and Fairgrounds, where Baffert isn't as likely to have his top horses in those derby preps? Sure, he could send one, but it's not really his his M.O. His top horses typically will compete in California or Oakland. He loves going to Oakland. That move by many of the sport's top owners to stick by their trainer may have been done to send a message of unity and loyalty, but that move will greatly impact the 150th Kentucky Derby. And you have to wonder, does that scenario I just laid out, does that scenario get Churchill to lift their ban of Bob Baffert? Probably not. But I do think it at least puts the conversation on the table. A lot of layers to that decision by those owners. And that is the poll question here this morning, by the way. I want to know how you feel about the decision that Bob Baffert's owners have made. His owners are sticking by him even if that means missing the Kentucky Derby with their top three-year-olds. What do you think of that decision? And I'll give you two options. You can go to at HRRN on Twitter. You can go to Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. And if you don't do social media, email the show. Let me know your thoughts. I'll try to read those as we move throughout the program here this morning. What do you think of their decision? 100% the right move or a huge mistake? Those are the two choices. Let me know how you feel, HRN Nation, about Bob Baffert's owners sticking by him, even if it means missing the Kentucky Derby with so many of their top three-year-olds. All right, let's reset the lineup for you here, let you know what's coming up over the course of the next three hours. As I mentioned, in just about five or six minutes from right now, I'll be joined by Hall of Fame jockey Eddie Delahousse to remember his battles against the great Bill Shoemaker as we look back on Shoe's final ride, which occurred on this day 34 years ago. Joe Orsino will be with me at 8.35 to talk about the Holy Bowl at Gulfstream. Hall of Famer Johnny V on Fierceness at 9 o'clock. 9.25, 
you're going to hear from Brad Cox. You're going to hear from trainer Robbie Medina as they talk about their top three-year-olds. Robbie, of course, has liberal arts going later today in the Southwest at Oakland. Brad has several horses and several big races later today. Gary Mandela will be with me at 940 to look ahead to the Robert B. Lewis. 10 o'clock Eastern, Hour 3 begins with the Twin Spires Triple Play. Vance Hansen will do the honors for you this week. Kurt Becker stroll through racing history at 1020. And at 1030, we wrap up the show the way we always do. With this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer, trainer Dale Roman's turf rider Tim Wilkin will be with me to talk about all of the hot topics in the sport of thoroughbred racing from this past week, including the Bob Baffert situation with his owners. What does that mean for him? What does that mean for the Kentucky Derby going forward? That all comes up at 1030 Eastern with Dale and Tim. Huge show. Lots to get to. We kick it off with Eddie D next. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Tenda Equine and Pet Care Products have been keeping world-class equine athletes happy and healthy for generations. Keep your equine athlete looking and performing well with Tenda Next Generation Wound and Skin Care Treatment. Along with nutritional supplements, leg and muscle care products, salves, hoof care, poultice, topical aids, and grooming products. Visit TendaHorse.com today. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Here they come, spinning out of the turn. Royal Heron has a one-length lead. Majinski's secret, John Henry, like gangbusters, followed by Gata Del Sol. Down the stretch at the eight ball, John Henry, like a bullet. John Henry now taking command. Royal Heron down along the rail in second. Majinski's secret is third, but here he is, a living legend. John Henry by two on the wire. Second, awfully close for third. It could have been Gata Del Sol. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna with you on this Saturday morning. We are awaiting the great Eddie Delahousse. Get a chance to hear from him coming up in just a few minutes. We are efforting Eddie at this point. He's going to remember on this anniversary of Bill Shoemaker's final career ride. That, and by the way, that was a race won by Eddie Delahousse. Eddie's going to look back on that day. He's going to talk about that 
competing against a guy like Shoemaker and what made him so good and how much fun that must have been throughout much of his career. We'll get a chance to hear from Eddie D coming up in just a couple of minutes. want to throw out a couple of changes to the racing schedule this weekend. The first involves fairgrounds where because of some forecasted inclement weather, they have adjusted the post times for this afternoon to begin at 1245 Central. And they will end with race number 10 at 439 Central. But racing beginning 1245 Central time at the fairgrounds later today. And Santa Anita has shifted things with their card tomorrow. They're fine for today, but they are expecting heavy rains tomorrow in Arcadia, California. So their card will shift back. What At least the stakes races will shift back to next Saturday. The Las Virginis, the San Marcos will all be contested on next Saturday's card, February 10th. But they have canceled their card for tomorrow, Sunday. So keep that in mind when you're looking at the races. If you haven't heard all of that yet, those are the changes coming up to this weekend's race card. So instead of there being 15 greatest stakes this weekend, there will be 13 because of the loss of the Las Virginis and the San Marcos on the card tomorrow. But it is a stellar weekend of racing with those four Kentucky Derby prep races and those trio of Kentucky Oaks points races as well. The ladies always seem to take a back seat, don't they? Everybody always wants to talk about the Derby, and I get it, rightfully so. I do too. But the Kentucky Oaks is a big deal, and we shouldn't forget about the ladies making their way down that road to the first Friday in May. The forward Gale, the Martha Washington, the two races today. I think I said three again because the Las Virginis was scheduled for today, but now moved to next Saturday. So two Oaks points races later today. Don't forget about the ladies. And nobody knows that better than trainer Brad Cox, who you'll hear in hour number two of today's show. Brad took time to join me this week for an interview to look at all of his three-year-olds that are coming up this weekend. And of course, he has a couple of prominent runners, including the favorite in the Martha Washington. So Brad talks about the ladies. He talks about his three-year-old Colts as well. That comes up right around 9.25 Eastern time this morning. So stay tuned for that conversation. Robbie Medina will also talk about liberal arts, who goes in the Southwest Stakes at Oakland later today. That is his three-year-old debut, the Street Sense winner at Churchill from last year, just starting down that road to the Kentucky Derby, as is champion fierceness. And he certainly, look, he's the he's the favorite in the future books right now. And as you would expect, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner typically tends to be, especially when he, he showed the, the talent, the fierceness showed in his two-year-old campaign. But fierceness has to continue to develop. And coming up at 9 Eastern, I'll talk to his jockey, Hall of Famer John Velasquez, who knows a thing or two about being aboard some pretty good horses, right? including horses going down the road to the Kentucky Derby. And I'll ask Johnny what he's seeing from fierceness. Has he taken that next step, which is going to be necessary? Because what happens is, at this time of year, the other three-year-olds who last year were finishing behind fierceness as two-year-olds, those horses, if they do develop and make significant strides, both physically and mentally, they catch up to fierceness if he doesn't continue to go forward. We see it all the time. So, yeah, he was really good at two. He was the best in high school. Now he has to be the best in college. 
and then by the time we get to the Kentucky Derby, he'll have to be the best at the professional level if he wants to continue to to live up to his lofty billing. But again, Johnny V, the Hall of Famer, with me at 9 o'clock Eastern. But I now say hello to another Hall of Fame jockey. That is Eddie Delahousse, up early with us this morning in Louisiana. Eddie, good morning, my friend. Good morning. How's it going? Yeah, doing great, buddy. You know, I, I was great. looking, and I, I said this yesterday when I reached out to you and asked me to ask you to join me here on the program, but 34 years ago today, you and Bill Shoemaker squared off in the Legends Last Ride Handicap. You got the better of Shoe that day, February 3rd, 1990. Uh, it was, let's face it, it was somewhat of an unpopular victory for you aboard <laughs> Exemplary Leader. What do you remember about that day, my friend? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Not too many people enjoyed it but uh, <laughs> because I won. But, uh, shoot, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he run third or fourth? Fourth. Fourth. So there were two other guys that beat him there, too, <laughs> besides me. <laughs> That's what I used to tell people. I'm not the only one that beat him. <laughs> That's right. You you weren't the only one that spoiled that party. What What was it like? <laughs> What was it like afterwards? Tell me about that. Uh, it was, it, it was, uh, you know, it's been a long time ago, but uh, something like that you never forget. Uh, Bill was very gracious, and uh, you know, he, if the shoe would have been on the other foot, he'd have won too. You know, if I'd have been my last ride, so nobody gives anything to anybody. You know, you're trying to win, and uh, but it, it was all fun. It was all fun. Do you but remember shoe, Eddie? What the what the build up to the race was beforehand I mean it had to be a pretty big deal right oh yes uh, I mean uh, the the marketing and uh, yeah they built it up very big uh, uh, for his last ride I mean look one the great one of the greatest riders in in the world uh, retiring at that time and and uh, yeah they, they built it up big I went back and I found an article from the L.A. Times that was written by turf writer Bill Christine at the time. He was there covering it, and he talked to you after the race, and he asked you if there were any sentimental considerations as you were coming down the stretch and you were going to be playing the spoiler role, if you will. And I loved your response. Here was your quote. I don't know if you remember this or not, but you said, I always ride to win no matter what the race. Today wasn't any exception. It's just too bad this wasn't a million-dollar race, so I could have gotten even with Shoe for what happened in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten what I said. That's a long time ago. <laughs> He's right. He's right. Yeah, Shoe got me on that that mile, uh, that win, and that and that was Arlington Park. I think that was the first million-dollar race in the country back in those days. Yeah, yeah. yeah John so, Henry and the Bart. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was a hell of a race. But Shoe was a hell of a guy. He was a hell of a man, and everybody loved him. And uh, it was, and I, I, and you know what? I, I was very fortunate. I beat him uh, on his last ride, and I was very fortunate to ride his first winner as a trainer mm. at Hollywood Park. So uh, it made everything, you know, just come together. For me. Wow. The two of you intertwined in so many ways. Those two incidences we just talked about, of course, then the Arlington Million, nine years before his final ride. What was it about Bill Shoemaker that 
made him such a good rider, Eddie? He just had the patience and he had the feel for a horse. And, you know, some people you tell them, you, you, you try to explain him the feel. It's, it's, he's, he's with, with in one, you know, with that horse. He, he just had that touch, I should say. It was just a touch. And people that never has never ridden before, they don't understand what you're telling them. But it, it's, it ju- it's just being with one with that horse and this and he he was just tremendous uh with those horses and then the timing and the the he, he just had it all bill had it all for a man his size i mean you know you you ride an 1100 pound animal and and he just they just ran for him you know they just ran for him but bill had the smarts and he had the timing, he had the feel, uh, he put everything together. Yeah, he he was certainly special, and Eddie, you were special too, and those, those showdowns between the two of you, that jockey colony at that time in Southern California, my goodness, talk a little bit about that. That jockey colony was loaded. Yeah, it was. I mean, you had Chris McCarron, you had Lafitte Pencai, naturally you had Shu. Uh, you had Don Pierce. Uh, 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 let's see, when I first got there, who else? Um, God, uh, I'm missing a couple of there, there were so, Yeah, Yeah, there were, there were so uh, many you know, great ones. Yeah, there's Chuck Baltazar, Frank mm-hmm. Olivares, uh, uh, Fernando Toro. Can't forget the bull. Uh, and many others. I, I can't think of them all off the top of my head, but uh, uh, I mean, it was deep. It was deep. Who Who was the was most competitive, hate-to-lose rider in that room? Was it Shu or was it somebody else? I think everybody hated to lose because they were that competitive. You know, I, I don't – you know, you, you, you'd get beat. Nobody threw tantrums or anything that – like that, but everybody wanted to win. They were all competitive. That's what made it so tough. You know, that's what made it so tough. Yeah, when you combine talent with the heart and the will to win that so many you and, and the other riders, Shoemaker and everybody else in that room had, boy, it was a, a special time to be riding in Southern California. Eddie, that article in the LA Times also talked about after you won the Legends Last Ride Handicap and denied Shoemaker uh, going out on top in his final race. Uh, it said that after the race, you you received catcalls, meaning people were heckling you a little bit after the race. <laughs> Was yeah, that true? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even, uh, you know, uh, the next day, uh, people back then, a lot of people heckled the riders. Uh, nowadays, there's nobody in the grandstand to heckle the riders. <laughs> That's what's sad, you know. I mean, racing was on top of this game back then, and uh, we had great owners, uh, many owners in the game, and uh, our industry is just killing itself. That's what it's doing within. And uh, I've seen it. It's been happening for the last 35 years. I'm surprised we still have racing. Yeah. How how involved are you in the sport today? Are you still involved? What's Eddie Delahousse doing now? 
Uh, I was on the racing commission, and we had a, we have a new governor, and he appointed me again, this new governor. But I decided I declined. Uh, I'm having a little health issues, nothing serious. Uh, but uh, I was on there for three years, and and I tried to help the horsemen and the horsemen in Louisiana. They don't want to help themselves, so. I was just banging my head against the wall. So, uh, and uh, the politics play a big part of it in any any uh, uh, industry. Uh, but I own a few horses. I breed a few horses with a partner, uh, and we race a few. So I, I'm involved. But uh, I think at this point, if things don't change, I'm just going to get out like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then all these people that are complaining about this and that. They won't have a job. All the higher ups, you know, they'll they'll wind up closing tracks, and all these people that are complaining about the greatest sport in the in the world uh, that they're they're killing themselves within, uh, you won't have no problem because they won't have no race. That's he is Hall opinion. of Fame jockey Eddie Delahousse here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Thirty four years ago today, Eddie D won the shoemaker bill shoemaker's final race he, he won that race it was the legends last ride handicap it went to eddie delahousse and as he said hey bill shoemaker finished fourth that day there were two other riders that also denied him the opportunity to go out on top in his final ride so it wasn't just eddie d um eddie if, if you were to to go back and kind of relive some of those memorable matchups with bill shoemaker over the years we we talked about john henry and the bart um, is there another one that stands out to you, or was that the one that is always going to be fresh in your mind? That's the one that always be fresh in my mind, and on top of that, I have the picture in my hall. Uh, before Bill died, he gave the picture to my wife, Juanita, and it was him and the board, him naturally beating me, and... Uh, him on, not on the Bart, on John Henry, excuse me, on John Henry and me on the Bart. So I look at it every time I walk in that hall. So he reminds me every day when I walk in that hall. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what a so great photo, though. That, I know, I know yeah. it didn't go your way, but what a what a great photo and a you know that's one of the most legendary pictures and legendary races that we've we have in the sport of thoroughbred racing. So that's pretty cool. What was your relationship like with Shoe off the track? Oh, we were good friends. I mean, uh, we were good friends. We, we, we always got together and stuff. And, and unfortunately when he got in his accident, we stayed close and, uh, you know, I helped him as much as I could, as much as he wanted. And, um, yeah, we stayed close. You know, he was a good man. Good man. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, there's good memories, and uh, unfortunately things happen, disasters happen, and life has to go on. But the memories are still here. Well, Eddie, you, you've provided so many of us over the years with some incredible memories, and I'm so glad that you've taken a few minutes to be with me here this morning on the show Hard to believe it's been 34 years, but it has been. Uh, Eddie Delahousse here on HRRN. Eddie, listen, man, I appreciate the visit and uh, oh, all the best. Keep promoting the sport. Keep it going, and we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. We're trying. We're trying, but it's getting tougher and tougher. Look, we want to keep it going, and 
I'm still behind the scenes, and we'll see what happens. Keep fighting good the luck. good fight, Thanks brother. For having me. All Appreciate right. it. All the best. Eddie Delahousse, Eddie D here on HRRN. Cool dude. <laughs> I like catching up with Eddie D every once in a while. All right, coming up next, you're going to hear from trainer Joe Orsino as he joins me live from South Florida to talk about today's Holy Bull Stakes. We'll do that next after your Legends of the Turf and this short commercial break. On September 27, 1947, over a distance of one and one quarter miles out of the chute at the top of Belmont Park's backstretch, the long-awaited match race between Warren Wright's Armed and the King Ranch's Assault was about to unfold before an enormous throng on hand at the Grand Lady of Long Island as Belmont was off the moniker. This was anticipated, expected, and billed to be, rightly so, I might add, a classic confrontation of the turf. The two owners, Warren Wright and Robert Kleberg, agreed that the $100,000 prize to go to the eventual victor would be given to charity, and it was a non-betting race. At Belmont, there was a bell which lifted its melancholy clang over the walking ring just before the horses for each race were to be filed out for the post parade, and just before this match race, it seemed to those in attendance to sound a sadder note than was usually the case. It was as a distant peal that may well have been of the self-same import of which Hemingway wrote, quote, Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. A chill, brittle wind howled in from the northeast, bringing the starkness of the foreboding North Atlantic down across the 1,000 miles of ocean from the barren Arctic Circle. One of the horses responded to its sweep against his legs and through his mane and tail as he danced impatiently during the long parade to post for the start and the remote corner of Belmont's back stretch. That self-same wind brought no solace to the other combatant, for he was to run this race on courage alone to fulfill a promise that had been made and was herein to be honored. He was not the same marvelous thoroughbred he had been during a brilliant career on the racetrack. He was somewhat lame and sore, each step bringing a twinge of pain. His heart and mind told him of the task at hand, but his body throbbed in protest. Armed, the great handicapped champion older horse, and assault, the 1946 Triple Crown winner, went to the starting gate. Somehow in the gate, Armed nicked himself on one quarter and left a scratch that scattered blood and a spray on his legs as he ran, but he broke in front as the starter sent him on their way. As the two champions loped down the long, long run to the far turn, it was armed by four open lengths with still half a mile to run. Assault under the highly capable, renowned Hedy Eddy Arcaro reached back for an attempt at one of those patented late charges and through the next two furlongs he cut the gap to his rival to but a single length by the time they reached the quarter pole. As they straightened away for the final two furlong run to the wire, it appeared to the roaring throng that Assault had put dead even with armed that was to be the last hurrah for the Clubfoot Comet, the great King Ranch standard bearer. Assault had given it everything he had, but on this day, it was not enough. Arcaro, recognizing a lost cause, eased his mount up in the final 16th, an armed cruise home a winner by eight open lengths in a final time of 2.02 and 4. Assault, the club-footed darling of the racing public, had been given it his all, but had for the last time faced a relentless challenge of the racetrack. After the race, while cooling out on the back stretches, trainer Max Hirsch looked at the game champion and with a wistful look in his eyes said, quote, there's never been another horse like him. An observer who had taken in that dramatic scene turned while leaving to glance back for one final look at Assault, who was standing with his big soft eyes blinking in the autumn twilight and softly and finally said, so long, champ. It was indeed a great moment in thoroughbred racing. This is HRRN. 
Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires, download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafard's Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet, and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir, point of entry, is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. And a holy bull, a big afternoon, leads it by three and a half, now four lengths as they come to the top of the stretch in the Florida Derby. Halos in its second, rise the rail, third, goal for Jim, fourth, and dramatic goal. Now with an eighth of a mile to go, holy bull has led every step of the way and has a commanding four and a half, now five lengths lead, the battle will be for second. The late, legendary Ross Morton with the call of the 1994 Florida Derby. The great Holy Bull with the victory that day. Nobody better than Holy Bull. You can have your secretariats and your Seattle slews and the greatest horse ever to look through a bridle. But in my opinion, it was Holy Bull, the greatest of all time. At least, he was my favorite. <laughs> that might be blasphemy, right? Comparing him to Secretary. <laughs> it very well could be. Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you on a day where we celebrate Holy Bull with the Grade 3 Holy Bull Stakes at Gulfstream Park. It is the 12th and final race of the program today. 5.45 Eastern is the post. And the man hoping to be standing in the winner's circle shortly after that time is trainer Joe Orsino as he sends out Hades. Tall order taking on the juvenile champion, but we'll see. It's horse racing. They don't run it on paper. They run it on the racetrack, and Joe is with me now here on HRRN. Joe, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Did I just commit blasphemy comparing Holy Bull to Secretariat? No, not at all. He's a good horse, <laughs> so uh, that's okay. <laughs> did you after, Did you ever run against Holy Bull? Do you remember? I never ran against him, but I was stabled right across from him at Monmouth Park, and I watched him train every day. Oh, that's cool. And, um, and, uh, and, and of course, I've trained a, a pretty good son out, out of Holy Bull, so um, by Holy Bull. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with him. Yeah, you, you've had a couple of them, including Thunder Blitz, who took you to the Kentucky Derby in 2000, boy, 2001. Oh, my goodness. Has it been that long? It's been that long. Shh, don't tell nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I can story, imagine, though, though man. 
you, you want to get back there in the worst way. Oh, yeah, we sure do. <laughs> so, Tell me a little bit more about Hades. Now, Holy Bull was a Florida bred. So is Hades. Tell me more about him. Um, Hades is a big, strong horse that, uh, you know, we purchased out of the two-year-old in training sale. And um, you know, we, with the intentions of him probably being a horse that can get the distance. And, um, you know, it took us a while to get him ready. I was actually trying to get him ready for the third leg of the Stallion Stakes, but he wasn't ready for that either. So we just decided to gradually start him and, and get him going in a one-by-one and, and, you know, eventually totally into this race today. So trains well, big, strong, sound, and um, he's, he's fun to be around. What is it about him, Joe, that gives you the confidence he belongs with this group today and at this level? You know, he's done everything right in the mornings up to now. Um, getting ready when I would breeze him, he he always started out by his first eight. We would go in 13, and he'd pick it up, and he'd end up coming home in 23 and change all the time and just always galloped out very strong. His gallop out was the thing that attracted me most to him. Um, just just keeps going. He has, he's got no quit in him. He's had two sprint races to begin his career. He's won them both, and his last one, seven-eighths of a mile, an eight-length victory. He just ran away from the competition that day. What did he show you in that race that got you really excited? It, you know, going down the backside, I thought maybe possibly from the one-hole, Paco gave him a little bit too much to do, and he was pressed by that other horse, and another horse came up, and and even the other horse even got a neck in front of him, and I thought, oh, don't tell me this. You know, I, he's not as good as I thought. But he hung in there, and it wasn't until turning for home when he changed leads that I realized he is as special as I thought because that last quarter mile and, and the last 316th, I mean, he he just exploded. And when he changed leads, he just had another kick where other horses, you know, just normal horse did not have that. You know, um, he he just was, you know, on his game. So. Obviously, this will be his first try going a route of ground. It will also be his first try going around two turns, and I guess you have to do it to find out if the horse can handle it. What do you do as the trainer, Joe, to make sure he's ready to handle this assignment? I'm a big, big firm believer in open gallops, more than breezes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people will say, how the, how did you do that, that horse? didn't have a breeze in between races. Uh, you know, I, I like to go out there. I'm, I have a stopwatch in my pocket at all times with, when horses are galloping, and I clock their gallops, and, and I, I control my riders and tell them, I want you to go this, the mile in 215 or 230. or you know, we're, we're on a pretty good schedule. And he just does everything. When I tell him to open gallop, so like, uh, for instance, two days ago I told him I, I, I want you to go 215. And he went 202. Just, you know, he's he's just got a stride on him, and it's very deceiving. So I'd like to do a lot of open galloping. It gets the air into him that I believe they need more than than those the, the fast, you know, half mile breezes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his first race, he has a little bit of trouble. He finds himself at the back of the pack. He was actually dead last at one point in that race. He comes flying at the end, and he gets up to win it. His next race, not the case. You walk through that one. He was much more forwardly placed. He battled for the lead early and then draws off and wins by eight. So which is going to be his better running style? At this point, what what can you glean from those two races? 
Well, you know, here's the thing. Today, I think our strategy is going to be the strategy to win the Holy Bull. It's it's not the particular maybe best strategy if you think you have a derby horse or the best strategy down the road. But from the one hole, I mean, we, we were actually, you know, put him in this race and we're firmly thinking that we were going to run into Sam Davis. But when he drew the one hole and we looked at the horses and we, and we just saw where he will be able to break and probably get the lead by himself, uh, again, not ideally where you want to be when you're going into big races, but I think today he's ready to do that, and I think he'll, he will, he'll go untested on the front end. And if he can do that, he's going to keep running. He has to square off with you know some talented runners, including the juvenile champion, Fierceness, uh, who makes his three-year-old debut. Have you gotten a chance to see him at all in South Florida? You know, uh, Todd's at Palm Beach Downs. So, yeah. uh, no, I have not seen the horse in South Florida at all. Um, I'll see him today, I'm sure. <laughs> so, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to see him today. <laughs> the front and back end. But, um, yeah, you know, and listen, he's a great horse. We all know it. You know, he, he ran a, a freaky race in the Breeders' Cup. You know, I mean, um, but I've always been told, you know, and, and taught this when I was a private trainer for the Stronics, you know, don't duck one horse. You know, you, you, you have to you have to run your horses where they belong. I mean, you know, you, you can't be afraid of one horse if they're four to five. And, you know, because anything can happen. It's a horse race. Joe, we're okay with seeing his front end. We don't want to see the back end today. That's not yeah. good news for Hades if he's looking at the back end of fierceness. Hundred <laughs> percent. You you know a thing or two about winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You talked about Holy Bull and one of his very talented sons, Macho Uno. Um, winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile in two thousand. What did you make of Fierceness's performance in the in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year? Again, I, I think he freaked that day. Uh, you know, yeah. he, he ran he ran an amazing race. Uh, he went to I think a, a three on the sheets and and uh you know I mean he just he was that day he was definitely the best horse so but you know they have to come back and off of the layup and and you know and then Todd's a great trainer you know and I don't I'm not sure he would have him peaked for today so you know I'm, I'm sure he's ready but um you know off of that race I mean he deserved the Eclipse Award for sure the way he ran Talking with trainer Joe Orsino here on the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. He has settled 2,020 winners coming into today's Holy Bull, and he's looking to add to that. And as you heard him say, he's he's tied very closely to the legendary Holy Bull with so many of the horses that he's trained over the years. And, and we talked about Thunder Blitz. We mentioned him earlier. He took you to your only Kentucky Derby in 2001. What do you remember about that experience, Joe? Um, yeah, Thunder Blitz was, you know, was actually the same year as Macho Uno. You know, mm-hmm. Macho Uno, unfortunately, off the uh, Breeders' Cup, he wasn't ready for to for his uh, three-year-old campaign. So, you know, Thunder Blitz was was I he was like my second string, and, and look how far he took us. You know, uh, when he when he won the race at Hialeah, the Flamingo, you know, uh, I had Derby. Just that's that's the race I had picked out. So. Um, Big, strong, good-looking horse that had a lot of staying power. Again, open gallop that horse. He was so fit. Uh, that was, you, I mean, look at look at the horses that were in that race. I mean, 
so many good horses and how many stallions came out of that race, like seven or eight. Uh, just mm-hmm. That was just one good derby year. And for him to run fourth the way he did, I, I was I was tickled to death. I mean, he just was an uh, amazing horse. That that was the Monarcos year, wasn't it? It was, yes, Monarcos with yep. Chavez. Yep, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a stellar group that day. And you, you mentioned all the future stallions that came out of that race. It was it was really good. And uh, Thunder Blitz accounted himself very, very well for a, especially being a second stringer. My goodness. Yes, and he beat Point Given that day. I know Point Given probably didn't run his race. He was fifth, but we were fourth, so I'll keep that on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can always say you finished in front of Point Given in the Kentucky Derby. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, how much, Joe, does it make you want to get back there, having experienced that thrill of the Kentucky Derby now? You know, I, I always said I can't wait. I, I really want to get back. Of course, it's, it's, it's every trainer's dream. But I wouldn't want to go with just a horse that was average. And, you know, that's why I haven't gone in the past because I've had some okay horses, but they were just okay. And, you know, like down down the road, they proved they didn't belong in the Derby. And, and maybe they could have gone. But, um, you know, I, I know what it takes to step up and be in a race like that. And if if Hades proves himself, then, then you know, we're going to continue on the Derby path for sure. That's a great point, Joe. If Hades does his thing today. Let's see. Even if he finishes second or third in the Holy Bull. It, great if he wins it. But let's say he finishes second or third and he runs really, really well. You continue on the Derby Trail with him. Do you do things differently now in 2024 than you did when you were going down the Derby Trail in 2001 with Thunder Blitz? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's there's races that you could get into him, like, let's, let's just say he's third today and he gets beat a month and a half and he runs his eyeballs out and he runs mm-hmm. great and maybe fierceness just is better than him. You know what? You try to avoid him and get get some more confidence into your horse and maybe instead of running back in the uh, Flamingo, uh, the Fountain of Youth, uh, you know, you run back in the Tampa Bay Derby. You know, I mean, there's there's other paths you can take that to build your horse's confidence and you know i firmly believe if you can get your horse to peak on the right day you know you're in, you you're in the race you got to be in it to win it right so i mean is it the, the main thing is, is having your horse really ready for that particular day mm-hmm. and you know we we've, we've been able to do that you know with with good horses in the past you know um when you when you can map out when you know when you change clean uh, when you train claiming horses you can really can't map out a campaign for them you know you you know you're going to run and you do things and you know it's kind of like it, you just keep them happy but a good horse you can map out what you want to do and and pinpoint when you want to breeze for that particular day you can work backwards like from a race six weeks from now and you know it, it, it's really a, a pleasure to to know when you're going to run and what you can do with them joe i missed the flamingo stakes Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. goodness! What what a I mean, you look at the names of the horses that have come through there, right? Foolish pleasure, right. honest pleasure, Seattle Slough, mm-hmm. Alley Dar, spectacular bid, the list, Chiefs Crown, the list goes on and on and on. And I believe Thunder Blitz may have won the final renewal of the, the Flamingo. Final, Is that right? Final Flamingo, I won. Yes, we won the final Flamingo and the final uh, Black Helen with Perfect Sting. <laughs> wow, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. 
That is awesome, Joe. Listen, I, I want to wish you all the best with Hades later today and then going forward. Let's hope we're talking in a few weeks at Churchill Downs. Well, first Saturday in May. Let's hope we're talking again then, my friend, and uh, all the best this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, appreciate the time. That is trainer Joe Orsino here on HRRN. Yeah, that flamingo at Hialeah, my goodness. You you heard me mention Seattle Slough and Adley Dar and spectacular bid. Those three wins, by the way, came in succession, 77, 78, and 79. Chiefs crown was in 85. Pistols and Roses. Remember Pistols and Roses? That big gray. Remember Frisk Me Now? <laughs> I remember that horse in 97. He won the Flamingo. And then, of course, Thunder Blitz in 2001 under Edgar Prado for Frank Stronach and Joe Orsino taking the final renewal of the Flamingo. Awesome stuff. All right, when I come back, it is time for this week's edition of Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman, taking a look at his top rankings as of the 3rd of February, 2024. John Velasquez coming up at 9 o'clock Eastern and plenty more conversation about the big races later today in Hour 2 and Hour 3. I'll tell you all about it next. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment email or text you pictures or documents or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. 
Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the horse racing radio nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. No Kentucky Derby preps last weekend, but we cannonball into the deep end today. There are four, that's right, four big stakes for three-year-olds today. Each one has grade three status, each is contested around two turns, and each is worth 20 Kentucky Derby qualifying points to the eligible winners. Gulfstream Park hosts the Holy Bull Stakes, and it marks the much-anticipated return of two-year-old champ Fierceness. He was super impressive in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, has reportedly been working very well for his return, and should be heavily bet in his three-year-old debut. The Withers is today's aqueduct feature, and a field of nine runners are all looking for the biggest win of their careers thus far. Stakes winners El Grandeo, Seminole Chief, and Uncle Heavy should vie for favoritism with former Bob Baffert trainee Mission Beach. Speaking of Bob Baffert, that Robert B. Lewis is one of four graded stakes at Santa Anita today and could just as easily be called the Bob Baffert Invitational. He saddles three of the nine runners, including the undefeated Nisos. Of course, none of the Baffert runners are eligible for Kentucky Derby points, but they certainly can claim a big share of the $200,000 purse. And last but not least, the Southwest Stakes highlights the card at Oaklawn today. This race was originally scheduled for last weekend, but frigid temperatures and cancellations in January prompted track management to push it back to today. Stakes winners Otto the Conqueror and Winstock take on 10 other challengers, including the undefeated Steve Asmussen trainee, Carbone. Next week, the focus shifts to Tampa and the Sam F. Davis, as well as Golden Gate and the El Camino Real Derby. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount like Gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. He won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. His name is Excited about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breach shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife, standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of Derby contenders looks like this. Number five, Forever Young, the Japan-based runner, is undefeated in three starts. Number four, Locked, Breeders' Futurity champ ran well when third in the Breeders' Cup. He's headed for the Sam F. Davis at Tampa next weekend. Number three is Dornuck. He was tenacious in his Remsen win and is pointing for the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream on March 2nd. Number two, Sierra Leone, extremely green in the stretch of the Remsen. Look for him to try the grade two risen star at Fairgrounds on February 17th. And number one is Fierceness. The Breeders' Cup champ is back and running today in the Holy Bull at Gulfstream. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Old segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm. And 13 weeks until the run for the Roses. One thing we know at this point anyways is that the horse's 
who are on the Derby Trail or would have been that are trained by Bob Baffert will not be there because the owners have opted to stick with Bob Baffert as opposed to moving their horses to other trainers, which that deadline passed this week on Monday. So that is not going to happen unless Churchill changes their stance and says, okay, we want those horses here. We will allow Bob back at Churchill to compete in the Kentucky Derby. It is really that simple. And that is my poll question today. With Baffert's owners sticking by him, even if that does mean missing the Kentucky Derby with their top three-year-olds, what do you think of their decision? Do you like it or not? 100% the right move is currently the opinion of many of you throughout HRN Nation. 60% of you saying it's the right move, but 40% are saying it's a huge mistake. Laura chimes in on our Twitter page and says, 100% the right move. Judy says, With Churchill Downs still refusing to consider Baffert's debt paid, owners are to be applauded. They're showing Churchill Downs that two can play at that game. The Kentucky Derby is one race, a big deal for three-year-olds, yes, but there are plenty of other races to run in to win and to make a stallion. Tom in St. Louis emails the show. And by the way, if you don't do social media, you can chime in with your opinion. Mike at horseracingradio.net. Tom says, I feel the decision by the owners to keep the horses with Baffert is a mistake. When you pay millions of dollars for a horse at the sale, you do it with the intention of winning major races, including the Kentucky Derby. To exclude your horse and investment from a $5 million race because you do not want to change trainers for three months is crazy. Let me know your take. Send it to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net or go to at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook to let me know your thoughts and let me know if you feel that those owners are making the right decision. All right, I'm going to be back with our number two, John Velasquez, the Hall of Famer. will kick it off talking about champion fierceness and plenty more to come. I will tell you all about it next, right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Hour two of three. Portion of the first hour of the program. Well, you missed quite a bit. My conversation with Hall of Fame jockey Eddie Delahousse and with trainer Joe Orsino. If you missed those interviews, all you have to do is head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to the podcast whenever you have some time, and you can do that, too, on every podcast platform. So however you access your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or Google, type in Horse Racing Radio Network, and you can listen to all of our shows every single week throughout the year whenever you have some time. Well, as busy as that first hour was, hour two is equally as busy. It begins momentarily with the Hall of Famer John Velasquez getting ready to get a leg up this afternoon aboard juvenile champion Fierceness in the Holy Bull as he begins his three-year-old campaign. You're going to hear from trainer Brad Cox, from trainer Robbie Medina, and from trainer Gary Mandela later in this second hour. Hour three, 10 Eastern, kicks off with the Twin Spires triple play. Vance Hansen will give you three races to watch later this afternoon. Kurt Becker's Stroll Through Racing History comes your way at 10.20. And at 10.30, we wrap up the show as we do every week 
with I Ask, They Answer, presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin will be with me to tackle many of the hottest topics in the sport today. We are efforting John Velasquez. We'll get with him here momentarily. But Johnny was aboard fierceness in that big win in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile at Santa Anita on November 3rd. Ran away from the field. One by six and a quarter lengths. People afterwards are saying, well, he freaked. That's not the real fierceness. He ran a hole in the wind that day. Can't do it again. We're going to find out if he can continue to do it. But as I told you earlier, and this is something I'll, I'm excited to talk with Johnny about, the key for fierceness now, he's put himself in the position where he is the leader in the clubhouse. Now he has to continue to prove that he can be even better. He can't rest on his laurels, certainly. We see this all the time with horses that win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. They have to continue to develop physically and mentally at three. He's talented. People might forget. They'll they'll see that one race in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and say, okay, he freaked. He was 16-1. to It wasn't expected. Huge upset. But you'll forget that his debut came at Saratoga last August. Six furlongs. Yeah, it was on a muddy track, but he won that race by 11. Things didn't go his way in the Champagne. He lunged at the start that day. Didn't run his race. He was just off that day. And he ends up finishing 7th of 8. Then comes back with that huge effort in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And again, based on his nearly 17-1 to odds, it was unexpected. But maybe that was the real fierceness. And that's the question that we're going to have to answer going forward and going into today's Holy Bull Stakes. It will be John Velasquez, the man aboard. He will have the honors of piloting the juvenile champion this afternoon. And you heard from Joe Orsino in the previous segment to end hour number one. Hades coming out of those sprint races and showing good speed last time out in his seven furlong win. Breaks from the rail. And Joe talked about his strategy. Hades Hades is not going to sit back and try to make one run today. If he breaks well under Paco Lopez, Hades is going to be forwardly placed, if not on the lead from that inside post. Going a mile and a 16th at Gulfstream, you have a very short run into that first turn. So if Hades breaks well, I promise you he's going to be in front. Now, Fierceness has good early speed, too. And it'll be interesting to talk to Johnny about his strategy with fierceness, at least how much he's going to let on at this point. But a good break is going to put fierceness in the mix, too. Now, he does have the advantage of being on the outside in post number seven today. So that will help. He can see what happens inside of him. And he has the right man aboard. So that will help, too. But Hades is going to be at least a pace factor in here. Whether he's classy enough to go with the horses at this level, that still remains to be seen. You heard Orsino talk about the fact that he loves his gallop outs in his workouts and then after his races. He's a big, long-striding horse. Those are some of the things that give him confidence that Hades is going to handle the longer distance in the two turns today, but he still has to prove it. That's one thing Fierceness doesn't have to do. He's proven it. He's the man to beat right now 
not just in the Holy Bowl, but in this three-year-old Derby prospect division. Otello was really good for Christophe Clement winning the Mucho Macho Man. That was a one-mile race, so he still has to answer the mile and the 16th question, too. But he was good. Came from off the pace, got up to win. It was a professional effort from him. Is he a horse that maybe could give Fierceness a run late? Look, this is Fierceness's, this is his race to, to lose. He is the horse to beat. There's no doubt about it, and that's kind of a Captain Obvious type of statement. But again, he has to continue to prove that he can keep getting better and better and better. And again, we are working on getting a hold of the Hall of Famer, John Velasquez. And actually, we do have Johnny V with us now. That is good news. The Hall of Famer here on HRRN. Johnny, good morning, my friend. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Listen, I was just talking about the fact that fierceness going into today's Holy Bull is He's the leader in the clubhouse. He is the one to beat in this division as of February 3rd. But he has to prove that he has continued his development mentally, physically. We know he has the talent, but he can't let the other three-year-olds catch up to him now. So have, have, what are you seeing from him coming into today's Holy Bull? Well, you know, he's been working very well for the race. Though, you know, And like you said, you know, if he, if he just continue improving and – don't let those that want to catch up with them. We'll be in, a, in great shape. <laughs> Rewind the clock to November 3rd at Santa Anita and that big win in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Take me through the race. Well, it was, I mean, a, a perfect scenario. And, and, you know, and he was working really well to, uh, for the race as well. And we, we just came out of there, you know, just to get a position. And, uh, uh, you know, we kind of late second there and going to the first turn. And he settled really nice. And that but three bull, you know, he was going really good until the other horse got, you know, a little near to me on the outside, and I kind of gave him a little nudge, and he went on. And down the stretch, when I asked him to go, he he was all there for me. So it was, he was very impressive. If he can do that today, um, we'll be in really, really good shape. <laughs> that that was the first time you had been aboard fierceness, and I mentioned earlier that he was over sixteen to one that day in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. So the betters anyway, weren't expecting that kind of effort. Did he surprise you a little bit too? No, no, I, I actually worked him. So I knew, I know that, uh, I mean, he, he was working really good for, for the race. So, you know, I, I just didn't know why he, he uh, I mean, I didn't ride him, uh, in the race before, you know, the Breeders' Cup, um, he didn't show up that day. Uh, but he was working really, really well, uh, for, for right before the Breeders' Cup. So, I was expecting for him to run big, though. you know. I, I I didn't know he was going to run that big. It's very true, but he, I mean, he was working uh, very very nice. I was talking earlier that when Joe Orsino joined me in the first hour of the program, he talked about Hades, who will break from the rail. The Florida bred has a lot of speed. Uh, at least he showed a lot of speed last time out. And if he breaks well under Paco Lopez, he's probably going to be forwardly placed, if not on the lead. But I was talking about the tight window to get into that first turn going a mile and a 16th at Gulfstream you know that far better than I do what's it like breaking from the gate trying to get position going into that first turn 
Yeah, the whole thing is if the horse breaks good, but you know, if, if you break a step slow, that's what makes it makes it difficult. Uh, but I am I am expecting the pack was probably going to go to the lead, though, you know, and then that's the way it looks in the race, though. Unless uh, I rat sends from from with his horse, though, you know, the rest of the, the rest of the horses are pretty much like uh, you know stalker horses. Um, uh, I expect them tackle to go in from you know being inside there to come out running. Um, for the other ones, I pretty much look it's basically the, the same thing like my horse I would do anyway. Um, other than that, um, I don't see a whole lot of speed unless somebody else sent racing, so, you know. You have the advantage of being outside of those other horses you just mentioned that have early speed. I use the word advantage. How much of an advantage is that, Johnny, being on the outside? It is because, yeah, now you can control uh, how much you 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 do at the first part of the race, though, you know, and so then being forced to uh, – run to the first turn, and then all the speed on top of you uh, going to the first turn and make you go a little faster than what you want. So I think, I, I think I'm think i in good shape the way we are, and we'll see what everybody wants to do inside of me, and we'll go from there. Listen, you're no stranger to being aboard some of the greatest horses that we've seen in recent generations, uh, and you're no stranger to going down the road to the Kentucky Derby. At this point, sitting here in early February, we're still 13 weeks away from the run for the Roses, as the rider of a horse that is the leader in this division, what are you trying to accomplish at this point? Obviously, you want to win every race, but you're kind of the coach when you're aboard him. What do you want to do with well, him I, to make I sure he's ready? Obviously, I don't, I don't want to kill him, you know, first first race back. So, obviously, we want to end, that's for sure. Um, but if I can give him the easiest race as possible, it would be great, though, you know. No, but obviously, the whole, the whole thing is winning the race. <laughs> Yeah, just get to the wire first here later today with Fierceness. He is going to be yes. a huge favorite. He's the one to beat today and in this division looking ahead to the Kentucky Derby. You're aboard a couple of other horses on that card today in some graded stakes too, Johnny. Let's start with the, the race right before the Holy Bowl, the Kitten's Joy Stakes. You're going to be aboard Deadpan for Mark Cassie. Tell me a little bit more about that race and that horse. Well, it looks like he's come from behind horse, though, you know, so see how he can handle the group. And he's stepping up a little bit into that group as well. Um, um, and I, I, I will see where he lands, you know, to try, try to get a good position and, and, and see uh, how he can handle the, 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 the competition here and, and this kind of group, you know. You know, you're Johnny V. So you come to the paddock, you meet with the trainer before, and, and people will sit around the paddock there at Gulfstream. They can see the conversation going on. Do trainers even have to give you much instruction, or do they just say, hey, you're Johnny V. You're one of the greatest of all time. Go do, do, go do your thing. Well, I want to know a little bit about the horse, though, you know. So, especially when I haven't ride the horse, I mean, I want to ask, you know, what the horse like and what he doesn't like, basically, though, you know. And after that, you know, I'm I'm already done my homework, so I hope that you know the the trainer and I kind of agree to uh, the things that we want to do. Sometimes you you get instructions, so you try to follow the best you can with the instructions that they're giving you. So. Uh, for, for the most part, you know, right now we we, we really talk about um, how the race is going to set up and 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 things about the horse himself, though. You know, what's the most bizarre set of instructions you've ever received from a trainer before the race? <laughs> well, go to the lead no matter what. But, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a, <laughs> one of the things, that, and 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 it could be one of those things that it's a lot of speed, but, you know, and, and they said that well, you need to be on the lead no matter what. It's like, okay, that's that's a difficult, you know. Task if if you watch the race with the, how how many horses in the race with the same kind of speed or more though you know so those are the ones that kind of are a little out there though and you know most of the time doesn't work. 
<laughs> yeah, great stuff. Hall of Famer John Velasquez with me here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fierceness, his horse in the Holy Bowl, but he has these other mounts as well. Uh, let, let's talk about the Swedish chant, Johnny, where you're going to be aboard, and I hope I say the horse's name correctly, Makanga. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's their name. <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as they're winning. Yeah, yeah. It's just a nice feeling. I mean, it's like I, I wrote it the first time uh, when she ran in the grass, though, you know, and uh, um, she definitely showed that she loved the grass and a uh, little headstrong, basically. I, I think she gets to relax a little bit. I mean, obviously, she, she's stepping up as well, you know, to to a much tougher group uh, coming from her maiden, but I think she's definitely a classic horse, so uh, the only thing about her is she's a little bit, you know, uh little strong head, if you will, though, you know, like if you get it to relax a little bit at the first part of the race, and I think she, she, she has a really good chance. She's a classy horse. She has a classy jockey aboard. Mm-hmm. That is John Velasquez. Johnny, listen, man, I, I know you're busy. I really appreciate a few minutes here this morning. Good luck with all those mounts today, and I always tell you, safe trip every time you get a leg up, and we'll catch up Absolutely. again soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank all you right, for having buddy. me. You got it. John Velasquez. Man, I, that guy good family guy, classy guy, works his tail off. Even today, he's still out there working horses. That's why he's busy today, right? This segment, we we had it all set up, and I said, okay, man, 12, 13 minutes. That's it. I mean, he's out there working horses even as one of the greatest of all time. That's why those guys are so good. All You heard from Eddie Delahousse in the first half of the program. All of those guys hate to lose. They want any edge they can get. That's why they're out there every morning doing their thing. Good stuff. All right, when I come back, I will bring you a brand new segment, weekly segment here on the Equine Forum. It will run all the way through the Belmont Stakes. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And you're going to hear from trainers Brad Cox and Robbie Medina in the next segment. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fans, the top jockeys, the top horses, they are all here at spectacular Santa Anita this winter. Join us on track this Saturday as we'll have a total of four graded stakes, including an important derby prep, the grade three $200,000 Robert B. Lewis at a flat mile on the main track. Also on Saturday, we'll have our NHC Super Qualifier, and you can compete for seats in the 2024 or 2025 NHC, as well as a cash prize pool. You can play on track or online at expressbet.com. Don't forget the traditional pick six is back with a $1 minimum as well as the coast-to-coast pick five. It's a $1 wager with a low 15% takeout that combines five races from both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. Additionally, our popular $3 all-turf pick three is back, showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile, the grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, 
and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Coach Prime waiting for room, sixth and still going strong as they make their way to the top of the stretch. Sandbagger Bartoli, and here comes Coach Prime inside of them, still in hand, and taking charge at the eighth pole. Coach Prime set down by Flavian Pratt, and look at him roll. Coach Prime. Finishing strong and eased up under the wire, wins it for fun. From the back of the pack, Indispensable got second. Bart told he was third, Colorado Cruiser fourth. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you on this Saturday morning. That was Larry Colmas with the call of Coach Prime winning his maiden race November 10th of last year at Del Mar. He is one of three horses entered in today's Robert B. Lewis Stakes in California, a derby prep for Hall of Fame trainer Bob Baffert, who is looking for a 12th win in this race. He's won it each of the past five years. So going for six in a row, he has Coach Prime, and he has Nisos, and so many good horses coming up in that race later today. Of course, those horses not eligible to earn points for a spot in the starting gate of the Kentucky Derby. One guy who is hoping to beat the trio of Baffert entrance later today is trainer Gary Mandela as he sends out better than gold. You're going to hear from Gary coming up at 940 Eastern. You're also going to hear more from trainer Brad Cox and from Robbie Medina coming up here in this segment. But before I get to all of that, it is time now for this week's edition of Kentucky Bread. One thing, I mean, you have to obviously note is the money at Kentucky Downs. He's won two races in two years and are both a million dollars. We've elevated a lot of those five hundred and six hundred thousand dollars races up to million-dollar races. We went to penny breakage, so a big victory for betters. We added KTDF money to claiming races in Kentucky. We've got the $2 million, mid-million, and then we also elevated the Kentucky Cup up to uh, $1.7 We passed a bill establishing a flat tax across all forms of parimutuel wagering in Kentucky. We've got nine $1 million stakes, which is crazy to say. My guest on today's edition of Kentucky Bread needs no introduction, but considering the fact he could hear the call to the post from his front porch growing up in the shadows of the twin spires of Churchill Downs, he is the perfect choice to kick off this brand new weekly series presented by the KTA KTOB here on HRRN. He is two-time Eclipse champion trainer Brad Cox, and he is with me now. Brad, taking into account what I just mentioned, it is certainly no surprise that racing in the Bluegrass State would hold such a, a special place in your heart, is it? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's obviously home for me, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, meant a lot to this racing here throughout the years, and, uh, it's it's um it's, i think it's the best racing in america it's um obviously the kentucky derby is the premier race in america and you know that's our goal each and every year is to try to get there and be successful and uh you know it's just it's a great place to call home i know you like winning races all over the country and all over the world but is there something maybe even a little more special for you being a kentuckian uh, about winning races at churchill keeneland turfway ellis kentucky downs 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, for me, first one ever came at Turfway, I'll never forget that. Obviously, you know, Keelan in the spring is a very special time of year, and then obviously that parlays over into Derby week. So, um, you know, it's it's um, there's always something going on there, and it's really become a great place to race year-round now as well. What do you remember about that first win at Turfway? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember I got spun. I had a call with a, uh, with an agent. I won't say his name, but uh, he told me I shouldn't run the horse there. I should drop her. And I really liked how she was doing, and I ran her there anyway, and she won. Uh, so it was the first horse I ever ran. I ran her at Churchill. She ran third, like 30 or 40 to one, and then I brought her back and ran her at uh, Turfway, and she got up to win. So no, it was that, that's probably the biggest thing is I got spun <laughs> from, from a jock agent told me I, was, I didn't belong in the race anymore. So that's, that's one thing. But now it was a special win. And just like you're doing now, you continue to prove people wrong. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, we got, we've got some good horses and uh, great clients and great help, and it's, that's what it all comes down to. Considering the incredible amount of money that is now available for racing in Kentucky – do you sit down in the beginning of the year or at some point, do you start to kind of plan your schedule around some of those races? Is it, is it possible to do it that way? Yeah, for sure. I think when the Keeneland book comes out, in the, um, well, it normally comes out in February, we start taking a hard look at it. Um, and, and obviously the Derby Week book comes out fairly early. So we start looking at it. And obviously, gearing, you know, they don't have to be Kentucky bred to run for great money in Kentucky, but it definitely helps. Uh, you start gearing up, you know, whether it's maidens, first-level allowances or stakes or whatever. Uh, you really start pointing for, for uh, racing there. And obviously, once again, we have turfway rolling throughout the winter now, which is, uh, you know, lucrative for the Kentucky breads as well. So, um, it, it's it, once again, it's a year-round program that's, it, that, that, you know, you can you don't really have to leave the state anymore. How much different is the program in Kentucky now as opposed to when you first started training? Oh, shoot. Uh, <laughs> just keeps getting better every year uh five years ago i would not have had a horse in in the wintertime i would not have had a horse in the state of kentucky if it did it would have just been a keeneland training getting them ready to ship down south or wherever it may be or new york but um it's really changed um the landscape of racing throughout the the country over the last just a few years you know you have the horses that can compete and they do compete anywhere like i say around the world or around the country but is it somewhat of a a double-edged sword sometimes, Brad, where, yeah, the money's great, but that also attracts all of the top barns and all the top horses, and you're always running against the best caliber of competition that you can. Is that is that a bit of a double-edged sword? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, competitive. I mean, the larger fields makes it that much more competitive. Um, so, yeah, no, there's no doubt between – I mean, obviously, Kentucky Downs is incredibly tough with the, the, the field size, and, and, and it, it's, it's incredibly tough sometimes just getting in, especially a maiden there. So, no, it definitely it's, – it's definitely tough, but it, it's, it's worth waiting for. And, you know, you'll get your opportunity sooner or later, whether it's Kentucky Downs or Churchill or Keeneland or, or Turfway. Those big fields are great for betters, though, aren't they? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's what, you know, pushes the sport and uh, keeps the handle taking over. That is Brad Cox with this week's edition of Kentucky Bread, brought to you each and every week by the KTA, KTOB, where there is so much money available in Kentucky right now. And the things that the KTA, KTOB has been able to accomplish in such a short period of time uh, is quite remarkable. All of the wonderful things that they have done here in the state. Make sure you you visit KentuckyBread.com if you want to learn more about the KTA, KTOB. Well, Brad Cox went on after that conversation about racing in the bluegrass state to talk about the horses that he is running in the stakes races later today. And here's what he had to say about all of those horses. Yeah, no, it's, it was a big, big, uh, 
big achievement. She's, um, you know, very proud of her picking up three grade ones from coast to coast, Kentucky, New York, and California last year. And, you know, just a, a you know, a great year. And I was glad she was crowned champion, Philly mayor, and uh, excited about getting her back this year. Yeah, she's she's certainly special. What? Give me an update on her. Uh, she's at the farm training there, Judmont, and she's uh, set to come back to um, the fairgrounds here the first part of February. Beautiful. We can't wait to see her back in action and can't wait to see a couple of talented three-year-old fillies in action for you in the Martha Washington Stakes in good taste, denim and pearls. Tell me about those two. Um, obviously, um, in good taste, had a good run there opening weekend at Oaklawn, ran a big race, got a good figure, uh, has trained there since, uh, done well, just a little bit of training, but overall has trained well. So excited about giving her an opportunity. Obviously, you know, maiden race to stake. It's always, you know, uh, tough to make that jump, but I think she'll run well. Dinner and Pearls, um, you know, probably would not have run her in this race if it was scheduled for the 27th like it was meant to be. We get an extra week, circle back, thought we'd separate some of these fillies, get her up there. She came back to the fairgrounds, trained really well, had three nice works since the uh, runner-up finished there on New Year's Eve. You know, I like her. I mean, she, she's a really, really good-looking filly, big pedigree, and um, I think she got a little bit out of that last race in regards to, you know, the two-turn, first two-turn race. I think she got a little lost there late. Horse kind of got the jump on her, and hopefully she'll, um, you know, be better for it and, and, and handle the two turns a little bit better than she did last time. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic she will. You know, Brad, one question I get quite often from listeners when they write into the show or they call into the programs, um, they, they ask about trainers' approach to training Colts as opposed to Phillies. Is there a difference when you're training a three-year-old Philly as opposed to a three-year-old Colt, or is it the same same type of philosophy? Uh, maybe a little bit different. I, I don't know if you train a Philly quite as hard as you would a Colt. A lot of it has to do with how they physically look and how they're physically taking what we're asking them to do. So it's kind of a, you know, I wouldn't say it's a a lot different, but I, I'd say, you know, you probably train the Colts maybe a little bit harder than the Phillies. And, you know, once again, I think a lot of it comes down to their physical condition, how much weight they're carrying, how they're eating, stuff such as that kind of gives you a little bit of a, a guide on, you know, how fast or far you're going to breeze a horse or your daily gallops, how far they're going to be. But it's basically the, the extent of it. This will be the first time Denim and Pearls or In Good Taste are going to go a mile in a 16th. Their previous long was a mile before this. Do you start to kind of get a sense of whether or not they can handle those classic distances in a race like this, or is it too early? No, no. I think this will be a good indication if they're going to march forward and be a, a, a filly that you can point for the Oaks or – you know, maybe there's something you back up and think there may be more like Beaumont horses or, or um, Eight Bells fillies for Churchill and Keeneland, you know. But I, th- I think, you know, I think it, in the Jan- 1st of February, you should have a pretty good idea of how far a horse wants to go. Oakland's also hosting the Southwest Stakes. That greatest stake is for the three-year-old boys. Awesome Road is your entrant there. Drew the far outside under Florent Giroux. Tell me more about Awesome Road. Well, he's an awesome workhorse. We need to... We need for him to be an awesome racehorse. He ran really well first time out. We liked him. He broke, broke him, was involved going three quarters. And he just didn't – no, listen, he's ran against good horses in his last two starts. Um, just really didn't uh, fire like we expected. So we're hoping that he can get – you know, I'm not certain that the outside post is really a bad thing for him. Um, he might be a horse that runs maybe a little bit better in the clear. Uh, maybe maybe carry himself a little more confidence. And obviously it looks like there's a little speed in there, so they're going to get away from him a little bit. I do believe so. Hopefully, he can set a nice stalking trip in there. And you know, once again, I, I'm not sure he's still a young horse. Um, if if he runs the way he trains, I think we'll be in great shape. But you know, we've we've not seen that from him in his 
last two starts. Hopefully he steps up. Yeah, now he is a horse that has gone a mile and a 16th distance. He did it twice as a two-year-old in the Breeders' Futurity and the Kentucky Jockey Club. Does he strike you as a horse that could even improve as the distances get longer over the next couple of months? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I think based off his pedigree, um, you know, he, he could he could get a get a mile and a quarter. But, you know, we need to start with this trying to get, do a little better in a mile and a 16th before we get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> one step at a time. One, We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Talking with champion trainer Brad Cox here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Brad, tell me a little bit more about Lightline, who is your entrant in New York in the grade three withers. He's doing well. Last time he ran a mile there at Oakland, didn't get weight quite as well as he expected. Came, came running, was beaten by a good horse. And, uh, you know, he's just kind of doing the homework on the race and organized the flight about 10 days ago and had it kind of waiting to send him up. If We thought it made sense. We thought, it, we thought he looked like he could compete in there, so we put him on a plane Tuesday, flew him up, and uh, you know, I think it's a great spot. I think he should like the mile and an eighth based off pedigree, the way he travels, what he showed us in his uh, three runs, and uh, hopefully he can uh, move forward. And I have to tell you, when I prepare to do an interview with you and I start looking at all the horses you're running all over the country in these big races, it takes me a little bit of time to make sure I have all the ducks in a row. I can't imagine what it's like for you when you sit down and you look at all your top three-year-old fillies, all your top three-year-old colts, and you start saying, okay, how do we spot these horses? How do we pick those races for them? So I'll ask you, how the hell do you do it, man? <laughs> you know, honestly, they're going to sort themselves out. I mean, you know, th- there's going to be some bumps along the way. Um, and, and, you know, this may sound crazy, but I don't know if you can have enough of them because uh, it, it, it's it's tough. It's demanding. Um, you know, you, you got to have, um, you know, some, some good horses. And, and we're very fortunate to have good horses. And, you know, you're just trying to map out a schedule, keep these horses running maybe over four, five, six weeks, depending on the horse. Once again, some of them take a little more than the others. Some of them, you know, um, you know, might need two months between. The hit show last year, he was he won the Withers, and we give him – almost two months to the wood memorial and he, he did everything but win the wood he was beating a um half half a nose but you know it's it's um you know it's just one of those things where you just kind of manage and watch each individual horse and another thing comes back i'm not scared to put a horse on a plane and ship them across country i mean if a horse is doing good as long as the owner's good with it i'll ship them you know wherever they, i feel like they can compete and um you know if they can take it they, they'll um they'll overcome it Brad, good luck in these races later today and moving forward as well. I'm sure we'll catch up again down the road, but all the best and really appreciate the time. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon. As always, Brad Cox holding a very strong hand at this point in the season. Really, he seems to hold a strong hand every year throughout the entire season. Um, We'll see how this plays out later today. One horse and one trainer who is hoping that Brad doesn't show up with his his horses don't show up with their A game in the Southwest Stakes later today is trainer Robbie Medina, who gets set to saddle liberal arts in his three-year-old debut. And Robbie joined me a couple of weeks ago on our Wednesday afternoon trainer talk program presented by Fasic Tipton. And he talked about liberal arts in depth, but I pulled a few sound bites from Robbie that I thought were pertinent in terms of the preparation of liberal arts for his three-year-old debut. And here's what he had to say. And he started by talking about the decision to leave liberal arts at the training center in Kentucky to prepare for the Southwest as opposed to bringing him to Oaklawn with him. Here's what he had to say. A couple things, Mike. One, he's a very aggressive horse to train in the morning, and his rider is, is a kid there that gets it, has been getting on him ever since uh, he, he broke him, since he was a yearling. And I just figured, you know, let's not change that because 
I'm not saying no one else could gallop him, but this kid gets along with him very well. So I didn't want to upset that apple cart. And he trains so well over that track, and he's shipped all his races. He's shipped out of there to run, and I just figured that'd be the best way to do it and just ship him the week of the race here at at Oakland, and that'd be where I could school him once in the paddock and and you know give him a, uh, take him to the gate here, and I think that should be enough. His victory in the Grade Three Street Sense at Churchill was the first greatest stakes win of your career since going out on your own. Look back on that day. What was that moment like? Uh, it was, it was pretty great. I mean, obviously, I mean that he this horse has always acted like he was a pretty nice horse, and he had run all his races were very good. He was probably a touch unlucky in the Iroquois. He got in a little bit of traffic there down the lane. I don't know if that would have that cost him the win, but it probably cost him being second. But I was just all summer long just waiting to see him. You know, when he got to run two turns. And it doesn't always work out, but for him to really relish going two turns, that was uh, quite satisfying. Do you take anything away from the fact that he's already won at Churchill Downs? Oh yeah, I mean you gotta, you know, he's run uh, three times there, and he's run well every time there. So yeah, obviously, you know, you can never use the track as an excuse. And he's run, you know, when he won that day, it was a sea of mud and. You you know, as you know, Derby Day, you never know what the weather could be. So that's, you know, that's nice to have that variable out of the way. He's raced five times, Robbie. I don't have to tell you this. You know, he's very consistent. Two wins, a second, and two-thirds. What makes him so hickory, if you will, just shows up every time you bring him over? Uh, he's, you know, he was a horse, Mike, that when I had him, you know, when we first started with him, you know, looking at him because he's, you know, got a lot of good size to him. You know, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be a horse that's going to, you know, probably run for the first time late summer, early fall, that type of horse. And I, you know, the more, you know, when he started training, he was just kind of just forward enough, you know, forward. And then I talked to one of uh, Evan Ferraro, who owns half of them. I said, Evan, I'd rather just run this horse. You know, we ran him at the end of May. I said, I'd rather run him 5'8 than continue to breeze them waiting for a longer race and he said do whatever you want to do i said he's a horse that's going to need some racing and and it's, and it's worked out uh, quite well you know we got to run him five eight and then we ran him three quarters seven eight to ellis park and then a mile at churchill and mile 16 so his progression was was very good and the one thing i would say uh my he still makes mistakes in his training where you know he doesn't want to totally listen to his rider but in the afternoon he's pretty solid he he, he pretty much uh, knows what to do that is Robbie Medina talking about liberal arts and some really good insight there. Um, not the best in the mornings, but that's okay. You'd rather have them not the greatest workhorse, but have them better and getting it in the afternoons. And that is what Robbie feels liberal arts is doing. At least he has done throughout his two-year-old campaign. We'll see if that continues coming up this afternoon in the Southwest. But it, the win at Churchill Downs is big just because you know he can handle that surface. But again, the surface will be completely different on the first Saturday in May than what he ran over last year uh, at Churchill. But my thanks to Robbie. And you can go back and hear that full hour-long conversation. There was some wonderful stuff that came out of it. You can go back and, and listen to that on our website, horseracingradio.net. And you can do that on every podcast platform as well. And then Brad Cox walking through all of his top horses um, just Again, loaded at this point in the season. Uh, coming up next, you're going to hear from 
trainer Gary Mandela talking about today's Robert B. Lewis at Santa Anita. Bob Baffert is obviously the story there going for a 12th win in this race and his sixth in a row. He has three horses. He's He's got the ones to beat, including Nysos, the morning line favorite. But Gary Mandela will try to do it with a horse named Better Than Gold, and we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. Gary is in the process of working a horse right now at Santa Anita, so he will be with me right around 9.45 Eastern, just about seven or eight minutes from right now. Gives me an opportunity, though, to update you on some of the comments in regards to today's poll question, and I ask you to keep those coming here right up through 11 o'clock Eastern. Um, The big news this week, regarded the owners of some of the top three-year-olds trained by Hall of Famer Bob Baffert, who was, of course, banned from Churchill Downs in the Kentucky Derby here in 2024. Bob's owners sticking by him, even if that does mean missing the Kentucky Derby with their top three-year-olds. And I asked you to let me know how you feel about their decision. Did the owners get it right? And so far, 62% of you saying, yeah, it's 100% the right move. 38% saying, it is a huge mistake. Moho Racing Partners chimes in on our Twitter page and says, the choice is theirs to make. It's a special occasion, the 150th running. The new saddling paddock is going to be revealed, and Churchill Downs will be packed. We're looking forward to being under the Twin Spires, no matter who's entered to race and for many years to come. I like that. Uh, Art says, I think all owners, trainers, should boycott CDI's most famous race, bring back graded earnings, get rid of the point system, which allows CDI to commandeer other tracks, stakes, programs. That's Art's take. Uh, Patty sends a message to us via email. And again, you can chime in that way too. Mike at horseracingradio.net, a way to email the show. And Patty says, Bob's owners are absolutely right to keep their horses with him. I thought forcing owners to make an early call last year to disrupt their horses' training was wrong. By the end of February, the Derby is not any more than a possibility for most horses. That makes the Derby somewhat compromised in my mind. However, the Triple Crown this year is already somewhat compromised by having to shorten the distance of the Belmont. Patty, appreciate the thoughts and your take on this situation. Again, you can email the show, mike at horseracingradio.net, or you can chime in on our Twitter page, at HRRN, and you can do it on Facebook, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. Post your comments there. Vote on the poll question and let me know if you feel that Baffert's owners have made the right decision this past week. Well, Baffert's the guy in the spotlight, right? And I told you at the top of the show, like him, love him, hate him. Whatever your take is on Bob Baffert, he is going to, with this decision by his owners, he is going to have a huge say in the outcome and even the field in this year's 20-horse Kentucky Derby. Because of the fact, and I laid this out at the beginning of the show for you, because of the fact that Bob's horses are ineligible to earn any Derby points, that affects everybody all the way down. The points... If Nysos wins today in the Robert B. Lewis, as he's expected to do, and Baffert's other horses, Coach Prime and Wind Me Up, finish second and third respectively, Baffert takes the top three spots in today's Robert B. Lewis. The way the point system is spelled out and structured, the horse who finishes fourth in that race today 
in this scenario will only earn fourth place points toward a spot in the Derby starting gate. The points are not redistributed in any way. That is massive. That is huge. It's a, a huge part of this story here. So even though Baffert currently is not allowed to be there on the first Saturday of May, he's going to have a big say as to what happens with some of the horses that can compete. And it's going to affect a lot of the prep races going forward. Because if you're an owner that has to run against three Baffert horses, but you're trying to get first place points to get your horse into the Kentucky Derby, do you really want to do that? Or do you want to... Now, again, you have to have a horse that can compete at that level. You can take it two ways. You can say, all right, I'm going to beat him. The heck with Bob Baffert. The heck with his horses. I'm just My horse is better than his horse. That's what this game was built on in the very beginning. My horse is better than Nisos today. I can beat him with my horse. I don't care if Baffert runs every horse in the race except for mine. I'm going to beat him. You can take it that way. Of course, then you've got to beat him to get those first place points. Or you can take it the other way and say, no, 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 no. This is too tough of a race. I'm going to go somewhere else. But then what do you do? Then do you ship all the way across the country to Gulfstream Park? <laughs> sure. Let's do that. And here's fierceness waiting for you. And Todd Pletcher with, with his army of horses. And Brad Cox. Let's go to fairgrounds. Here's Brad Cox. Let's go to New York. Well, Brad Cox is shipping up there, too. Todd Pletcher shipping up there, too. It's tough, but this affects everybody across the board. That is a big part of this story here. And we'll see if at some point Churchill does decide, hey, okay, enough's enough. We want these horses here. We want Nisos and Muth and Prince of Monaco. We want those horses here. If they continue to do well on the Derby Trail and they say, all right, enough's enough, Bob, you're back in. There's a lot of ways this can all play out still. I don't expect that to happen, but it could. Interesting stuff. All right, when I come back, Gary Mandela is set to join me live from Southern California. We will talk about today's Robert B. Lewis and trying to beat those three Baffert horses. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Post time gets a chirp there from Sheldon Russell. Goes on, opens up three, opens up four. Seven's 11 and all threes with a 16th left to go. Post time to jog in the Jennings. Post time, the four-year-old son of Darley Stallion Frosted won for the sixth time in seven starts in the Jennings Stakes, capturing his third career black type event. His buyer for the Jennings is a career best 103, making him your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Frosted. His eight graded stakes horses in 2023 are best among all stallions standing for under 30,000. They include grade three winners Ice Dancing, Frost Point, and Jasper Crone. 
frosted, stands value priced for the 2024 season at just $10,000 live full. Learn more about frosted and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Coming toward the top of the stretch. Imagination still under a hand ride here. A neck in front. Tapalo second on the inside. It's six back to better than gold in third. Imagination keeping the lead, but stubborn on the inside is Tapalo, who is not going away. Imagination, Tapalo, better than gold trying to get involved too. Imagination, Tapalo, better than gold is coming on the outside to win it. Better than gold and Mike Smith timed it right. Running down Imagination and Tapalo, and then Flightway. That is Larry Colmus with a call of Better Than Gold, breaking his maiden at Del Mar December 2nd of last year. Better Than Gold and Mike Smith and Gary Mandela looking to take down Bob Baffert and everybody else in today's Robert B. Lewis out in California. Gary Mandela is with me now. It's a busy morning for him, so we won't keep him long. But Gary, really appreciate the visit. Uh, Better Than Gold. That maiden win was really good. He came flying late. It was very professional. Share your thoughts, my friend. No, it was, you know, it was really nice to see him live up to his potential. And we, we didn't expect a whole lot sprinting him the first time because he's always, you know, looked and trained like a horse that's a two-turn horse. Um, but I wasn't sure he was going to improve all the way into the winter circle from stretching out. I knew he was ready for it and he'd run better, but... Uh, that was a, a very pleasant surprise to see him get to de- get to the wire first like that, and and uh, it's it's nice to have a horse like him that you know looks like the further we go, the better he's going to be. Yeah, that first race he had to face Nisos, who he squares off with again today. Nisos expected to be the heavy favorite, one of three horses trained by Bob Baffert in this race, who who has owned this race over the years. Why can better than gold turn the tables on Nisos and everybody else today? You probably can't, to be honest with you. It's the, the race too short, and Nisos is too fast. I and mean, you saw that when they ran against each other going six and a half. Um, you know, we get to these races that are a mile and an eighth and further, my guy's going to have probably a better chance. And I don't say that out of, uh, you know, downgrading my horse's ability. I just think he's really that kind of a horse. I, I really do. He, he reminds me of a horse my dad had, God, it might be 20 years ago. Now I'm getting sold, uh, Setsuko you know, who, who was mm-hmm. kind of a wise guy horse going into the Derby, but he didn't get in on points. And then he, he, bad stewards decision, he got DQ'd from Sandy to handicap, you know, would be a horse everybody remembers if a couple of those things had gone the right way. And th- this horse reminds me of him. He's, he's a steady, long, leggy horse that, that really wants these longer races. Uh, this, is, this is a step on the path. I think he's doing great. I think he'll run well. Nisos is such a fast horse. Is so much handier than my horse. I don't know that I realistically can expect him to to jump up and grab him today, but but I do think my horse is going to run well. Is he a better horse now, either mentally, physically, whatever the case might be, than he was on December second when he broke his maiden? Both, but 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 he also still hasn't grown into himself completely. He's he's there. He's on the right trajectory, but he's he's a big lanky guy, and, and he's got some more filling in to do. Uh, you know, I was, I was talking to Mrs. Pollock over dinner uh, last night, his owner, you know, just kind of explaining to her you know, the way that he falls back in his races and finishes, even though he got the job done the other day. As he grows into himself and matures and gets more balance, 
I, I think he's going to help himself leaving the gate. And he's not always going to be a last-to-first kind of horse. I don't think he's going to need that. I, I think that'll come in a few months as, as he changes, and, and that's just going to help him. That and longer racing is just going to help him. Let's say that he can't catch Nisos today uh, because mm-hmm. of the one-mile distance of today's race, but he runs a good race. What, what are you hoping to see from Better Than Gold that will let Gary Mandela know, okay, I've got a horse that can compete on the road to the Kentucky Derby? No, just a good finish. Mm-hmm. You know, just finishing all the way through and, and keep me focused on exactly what I just told you. You know, he needs longer races. Just be patient. Wait for them to come around. He'll be a fun horse when we can get to those kinds of spots, whether it's the Derby, whether it's some race in the summer, whether it's some race in the fall. Those longer races are where he's going to want to be. And, and we just got to let him tell us when it's the right time to, to have him in those. Well, you got a pretty good jockey aboard. I think this Mike Smith kid's going to be okay. <laughs> he, he makes up for my lack of experience. It balances it out. <laughs> I, I talked to John Velasquez just a couple of segments ago, and I was asking him what those conversations are like now when he comes to the paddock. You know, Do trainers even bother giving him instructions anymore, or does he want to know something about the horse? What's the conversation like with Mike Smith? You just say good luck. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. It, you know, every once in a while, you know, with guys like John, with guys like Mike, you know, you don't always end up in a situation where you get to keep your same rider. And, you know, Mike's breezed this horse a bunch of times and ridden him. He knows him. It's just going to be good luck later this afternoon. The only times you really talk to these guys is when, you know, when you lose your rider. Somebody takes off. Somebody's out of town. Somebody's suspended. You're, you get an opportunity to put Velasquez or Smith on your horse. You take it. Then you tell them about the horse. Let them figure out the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Gary, before I let you go, I was laying out a scenario a few minutes ago where with the decision of Bob Baffert's owners to keep their horses, their three-year-olds, with him and not move them to other trainers, those horses are still not eligible to earn derby points. So let's say, for example, his horses would run one, two, three, and today's Robert B. Lewis, better than gold is fourth. He only gets fourth-place points. Those points are not redistributed. Um, does that – does that change your approach now going forward, or do you just stick to your guns and say, hey, eventually we're going to beat those horses and we're going to get first-place points? Just stick to my guns. horse will tell me what to do. I'm not going to worry about the points. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. Yep, yep. Well, I think that might be an approach that a lot of people take. You just have to let the chips fall where they may, and let's see if better than gold, first of all, is that caliber. We'll find out later today with a good finish by him under Mike Smith for Gary Mandela. Gary, I know it's busy for you. I'll let you go, my friend. Really appreciate a few minutes. Thank you. Really, really good to talk to you, Mike. You too. Good luck today. Thank you, sir. All right. There he is, Gary Mandela. Yeah, see, that, that's, one, that's one thing you can do. Now, now, he's in a position where he has a horse like better than the gold. He doesn't even know if this horse is going to be that caliber yet. So he can say, all right, don't worry about the points at this point. Let's just see if this horse belongs. Then we can start making some decisions. And if I had more time with him, we could have gotten into that side of it too. But good luck with, to Gary Mandela. He's got a tall order in front of him today. Doesn't feel like he can beat Nisos and turn the tables. But, again, they don't run the race on paper. They, they run it on the racetrack, and it'll be decided there later this afternoon. When I come back, I will take a look at a couple of historical dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend and get you ready for hour number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. 
Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolatey candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh. Looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand Up to Cancer and Rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna taking you right up until 11 a.m. Eastern here on the program this morning. Don't forget, if you missed any of the first two hours of the show, boy, have you missed a lot. Eddie Delahousse, Joe Orsino, Hall of Famer John Velasquez, Brad Cox, Robbie Medina, Gary Mandela, all part of the program here for the first 120 minutes, getting ready for hour number three. I'll tell you all about that momentarily. But first, time now to take a look at a couple dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend in thoroughbred racing. And it was on this day, February 3rd, 1989, that apprentice jockey Nate Hubbard hung on for second, literally, when his horse, Sweetwater Oak, stumbled near the finish line at Golden Gate Fields, flipped Hubbard out of his saddle as he tumbled forward he grabbed onto the filly's neck, and he hung on in midair until the race was over. The stewards 
ruled it an official finish because Hubbard's feet never touched the ground and Sweetwater Oak carried her assigned weight throughout the entire race. <laughs> That's a pretty cool one. I like that one. And, of course, I told you earlier, it was on this day in 1990, 34 years ago, that jockey Bill Shoemaker, the shoe, rode his final career race at Santa Anita, finishing fourth aboard Patchy Ground Fog in the Legends' last ride handicap. He retired with 8,833 wins, which was a world record. And when Eddie Delahousse joined me in the first segment of today's show, he spent time talking about that race because that race was won by Eddie Delahousse. And Eddie quickly pointed out, he said, wait a minute, didn't Shu finish fourth that day? I wasn't the only jockey to spoil his party. There were two others too. <laughs> Good stuff from Eddie D. And the great Bill Shoemaker remembered on this Saturday morning. By the way, this is also the day the music died, if you recall. Yeah, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, the big bopper J.P. Richardson, all killed in that plane crash February 3rd, 1959, for you music buffs out there. Two hours down, one to go. Vance Hansen kicks off Hour 3 with the Twin Spires triple play. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. Dale Roman's Tim Wilkin join me at 10.30 Eastern for I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us, continue listening to Hour 3 on Sirius XM Satellite Radio on our website and ESPN 680. Hour 3 of the Equine Forum is next, right after a 10-second pause for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. And Barbaro gets the test. Flashy Bull has run up into second. Barbaro reaches for the final furlong. And Barbaro leads by a length and a half. Great Point is charging from the back of the pack. Barbaro is in front. Great Point tries to pass them all, but he can't pass Barbaro! The Holy Bull stake goes to Barbaro. The leader is Smarty Jones. Two down automatic second. Pro Cotto to the outside. They drive for the wire. Smarty Jones leads it. Here's two down automatic. Pro Prado. Smarty Jones continues undefeated wins the Southwest by three quarters. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Bernardini in front, leaving Luxembourg in his wake. Coming down to the final furlong now. Javier Castellano lost the whip on Bernardini, but he's not going to need it. They've got a four-length lead as Doc Cheney comes up to be second on the outside. Handwritten, not willingly, through the final furlong is Bernadini to a three-length lead. They're in the final furlong, and Mucho Gusto now pours it on, opens up three. Easy shot, Gunmetal Gray will battle for second. Mucho Gusto, impressive in victory, cruises home by five easy lengths. Now, here's Mike Penna. Welcome back. Hour three of the Equine Forum rolling on on this Saturday morning. Very busy Saturday morning as we we look at four Derby points races, several points races on the road to the Kentucky Oaks as well. Let's not forget about the ladies. I hope you enjoyed the first two hours of the show and those conversations and really insightful stuff from trainer Brad Cox and Robbie Medina and then Gary Mandela in the previous segment talking about their runners coming up this weekend. Of course, Brad joining me for Kentucky Bread, a brand new segment that we're bringing your way every week here on the uh, on the Equine Forum. And my thanks to KTA, KTOB for their sponsorship of that segment. You heard Bobby Newman with calling all three-year-olds and 
Now we get an opportunity to dive into the Twin Spires Triple Play and give you three races to keep an eye on later today. That is the way we will begin our three momentarily. Kurt Becker will take you on a stroll through racing history at 1020. And then Dale and Tim will be with me at 1030 Eastern for this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. Quick reminder that if you missed any portion of this program, any of the interviews that I brought your way throughout the morning, all you have to do is head back to horseracingradio.net. That is our website. You can listen to the podcast there, and you can listen to them on every podcast platform. So however you access your podcast, type in Horse Racing Radio Network and follow along with all of the great shows that we bring your way each and every week. Time now to begin Hour 3 as we do every week with this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. And doing the honors this week is Vance Hansen, who has selected three races you can bet at Twin Spires this afternoon. All three of those races coming from Oaklawn Park, where it is a big day in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Vance, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. Good to be with you on a very uh, interesting and exciting Saturday. I was really excited when I looked at the three races you selected because I spent so much time in the first two hours of the show previewing all of the derby prep races and some of the Oaks prep races that are coming up later today, but didn't get a chance to focus on the surrounding, the supporting races on on those programs. And that's exactly what you've done at Oakland today. We're going to start with race six, which is a maiden special weight race for the three-year-old boys. Race seven is an allowance race. Race 12 is also an allowance race. So no stakes races in your three selections here today. Yeah, I, I did take a look at some of the stakes races, but I kind of found that the uh, several of the under, undercard races, I thought there was some value to be had, and so I kind of uh, drifted in that direction. All right, well, let's kick it off with the sixth at Oaklawn. It is a mile and a sixteenth maiden special weight race for the three-year-old boys. Big field of 12. As a matter of fact, all three races you selected at Oaklawn all have big fields. Who wins this one, my friend? Well, the horse I'm... Looking forward to uh, seeing in race six and hoping he improves second time out is number 1,000 Springs for Kenny McPeak. Uh, The son of Ghost Sapper debuted late December at Fairgrounds going six furlongs, ran into a uh, relatively uh, promising horse named Donko who just blew that field apart by five lengths. He was a pretty spread out field, 2,000 Springs, wound up finishing in mid-pack after breaking slow, breaking from the inside post. But this horse, I think, is really bred to excel going two turns here. He gets that opportunity today going a mile and a 16th. Uh, as I mentioned, he's by Ghost Zapper. Uh, his dam was a grade one place stakes winner, won, a, uh, I think, the dueling, dueling ground oaks over the turf at Kentucky Downs. And then she herself is out of uh, uh, the multiple grade one winning mare pure clan so thousand springs i think has got the pedigree to stretch out a little bit here and and improve uh he picks up brian hernandez who is kind of a go-to rider for kenny mcpeak's maidens and uh, i think it's six to one thousand springs looks like a good in essence at six to one he doesn't have to improve a whole lot i think here to contend do you think he can still find himself in the starting gate on the first saturday in may that, I think, would probably be a bit of a long shot. It depends on how he'd have to win this race, I think, pretty impressively to 
consider him for, you know, an upcoming stakes. But you, you never know. We'll, we'll find out after to, after today's race. According to the morning line, Vance, the horse just to his outside, Dimatic for Steve Asmussen and Joao Rosario is the horse to beat. He is 5-2, to two, and that is very much a lukewarm favorite in this race. Uh, but he comes out of a race where he finished third going a mile in the 16th at the fairgrounds on December 23rd. Um, you're playing against him. Would it shock you if he were to find himself in the winner's circle? No, not at all. Uh, like you said, that was a, a good two-turn debut last time at fairgrounds, and then he made his debut at Churchill uh, in late November. Uh, he finished 6th of 11 there, but in that race was his uh, promising stablemate Hall of Fame, who we just saw uh, break his maiden recently at fairgrounds by 10-plus lengths, and he's who's headed to the Risen Star. So he's faced some really good horses already. This is not a very... Um, deep field by any stretch. So, yeah, Dimatic looks like the horse to beat justifiably here. All right, but we will try to beat him with number 1,000 Springs in race six at Oaklawn. 1,000 Springs presenting pretty solid value, too, six to one on the morning line. Let's move on to the second leg you've selected, Vance. It is race number seven. Uh, that is an allowance race with a $141,000 purse, six furlongs, um, another big field. 11 horses signed on for this one. How'd you see it? Well, despite the fact this race is at six furlongs, which is a distance that uh, she might find maybe a bit on the short side, I, I, I think uh, uh, the, you know, the pace setup and the pace flow, I think, is going to benefit number four, Traverse. Uh, Claiborne Farm, homebred, Wiley Mott trained. Uh, she is coming off a pretty long layoff. It goes back to the uh, late May of last spring, but if you go down a few races on her past performances, she really excelled over this racetrack uh, last winter, winning back-to-back allowances very impressively. So impressive that they tried her in a couple of stakes. Uh, that didn't quite pan out, but she's back in allowance company here. And there's a lot of speed sign on in, the, in this race, a lot of stakes quality speed. Uh, I think, you know, if she gets the right pace set up and if, she, and if she's fit enough, I think Traverse can continue her really solid form here at Oakland. And in 4-1 to morning line, maybe comes down from that perhaps, but uh, I think she still offers some good value here. It's an interesting selection, Vance. And when you talk about the pace scenario and there potentially being a lot of speed in this race, you look at what Traverse has done uh, throughout much of her career. She has one on the lead, but her best efforts, I think, have come when she sits just off of it. Not like she's a deep closer, but if she can find herself in a stalking position, I think that's probably uh, going to be her best strategy here today. Do you agree? I agree. And if you look at uh, her race, her wins at Oakland last uh, last winter, I mean, she, she didn't exactly get the hot paces to chase in those two-turn races either. I mean, they were going... Uh, you know, 48, 49 and change for a half mile. And she was within stalking distance of that. So she's going to have to make a bit, a bit more ground if she falls a little further off the pace uh, today. But uh, I think that, like I said, the pace flow, her back class, her fondness for the strip, I think points Traverse out as, the, as a mirror to watch here. If you're playing an exacta or a trifecta in this seventh race at Oakland, which other horses might you have your eye on to be in the mix with Traverse? Well, one horse I was looking at a little bit and ultimately kind of sided against her uh, because of the possibility that she might get caught up in the pace 
uh, uh, pay stool is number three dealing justice. But, you know, this Philly's got some uh, decent uh, stakes for him from the past and uh, come, is coming off second, goes second time uh, for trainer Tim Martin here, coming off of a decent fourth on the Poinsettia stakes. I think she'll enjoy a, a bit of a class relief here. So dealing justice kind of at a price is, is a horse I throw in the lower rungs of the exotics. Okay, but it is number four, Traverse, at 4-1, to one, who is the top pick in race seven at Oaklawn for Vance Hansen here on the Twin Spires Triple Play. Don't forget, you can bet all of these races any way you like. Just make sure you're doing it later today with Twin Spires. Uh, race 12 is your final selection, race 12 at Oaklawn. Mile and a 16th, another high-level allowance race. Non-winners of one other than who wins this one, my friend. Well, when I visited with you a few weeks ago, I, I endorsed a horse named Chrome Baby, who wound up being scratched from the race I selected him in, and and he was pre, pre, entered again the following day at Oakland, but that card wound up canceled. So I'm kind of going back to the well here with number 12, Chrome Baby, uh, back at the same condition that he was entered in a few weeks ago, which is a entry-level allowance, but those are pretty loose conditions because... Uh, horses who have uh, won multiple allowances at uh, for lower purses at other tracks are still eligible for this condition at Oaklawn. So as I mentioned a few weeks ago about this horse, he is a bit overqualified for the condition. You know, multiple allowance winner at Remington Park last fall. Uh, didn't fare well in his, in his stakes there uh, in mid-December. Uh, he gets the class relief here. Uh, obviously drew an outside post here as he did a few weeks ago. So He's going to have to overcome that, but uh, there's there's a touch of pace here that I think uh, is going to benefit him uh, as he tries to work out a trip from this post. And he's back on lay six today, which he wasn't, uh, which wasn't available to him in his uh, uh, poor stake showing last time. So I think that will benefit him. So Chrome Baby, twelve to one. Uh, hoping hoping he can work out a trip here, uh, get a decent pace to chase, and uh, hopefully uh, scores an upset. I'm glad you referenced the outside post last time when he came out of that race and scratched because we were talking about that, if I recall, that you know maybe he would scratch because he drew the outside, and here he is again in post number 12, Chrome Baby just not getting a lot of luck with the post position draw these days. No, and uh, that certainly him drawing the post 12 a few weeks ago certainly could have been a factor. Also, the race he was cross-entered in the following day looked like a softer allowance. Uh, he's not cross-entered this weekend for anything else, so I'm, I'm guessing uh, connections are going to uh, go ahead and run him here. This is this isn't an easy spot for him, but like I said, he's he's overqualified. Uh, multiple. Three, four, four allowance wins to his credit already. Good connections and uh, twelve to one. I'm going to see what he's got. All right, let's see how it works out for Chrome Baby. Big price there. Just to recap, Vance Hansen's triple play this week: Oaklawn race six. He will go in number one thousand springs at six to one. Race seven, he'll take number four Traverse at four to one. And then Vance, you wrap it all up in the twelfth race with number twelve Chrome Baby. At odds are 12 to 1, so 12s are wild in that last race. Sounds good to me. Let's uh, let's see if we can get it home. Yeah, I appreciate it, my friend. Uh, all the best at the windows. Good luck with these races and all the others you're going to be playing. I know Vance Hansen is going to be betting these at Twin Spires, and you should too. Vance, appreciate it. Good luck, my friend. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you.
All right. That is your Twin Spires triple play. When I come back, Kurt Becker will take you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And then still to come at 1030, I ask, they answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin talking about some of the hottest topics of the week, including the news surrounding Hall of Famer Bob Baffert. That's all ahead. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRR. Race the Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call one 800 Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of Grade 1 winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century, as his third dam is Broodmare of the Year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect 4-for-4 season with an emphatic victory in the historic Grade 1 Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the Grade 1 Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs, Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky and Bourbon County, which some refer to as the Promised Land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale. At Alapa. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. He enjoyed a sensational sophomore campaign some 35 years ago in Europe, making history almost every time he went to the post. And he was a horse which forever will be a favorite among the staff at Shadwell Farm in Lexington, Kentucky. His name was Nashwan. Pulled on March 1, 1986 at the newly established Shadwell Farm in Lexington, Nashwan was part of the first group of foals ever born at Shadwell's Kentucky location. A chestnut colt by champion Myler Blushing Groom, his dam was height of fashion, a mare Shadwell had purchased from Queen Elizabeth II. As for his name, Nashwan is a word which means joyful in Arabic. It was said that Sheikh Hamdan bin Rashid Al Maktoum, the founder of Shadwell and the finance minister of Dubai, was so pleased when he got news that the colt had been born that he chose the name Nashwan to reflect the joy which he felt at news of the colt's birth. Sent to trainer Dick Hearn, Nashwan made his debut on August 13, 1988 as the 6-4 favorite in the Yattenden Maiden Stakes at Newbury. He came from well off the pace that day to defeat 26 rivals. 
Two months later, Nashwan put himself into the Epsom Derby picture with a victory at Ascot in the Red Oaks Autumn Stakes, with Neil Graham overseeing things while Hearn recuperated from heart surgery. A colt named Prince of Dance, also trained by Hearn and Graham, had been the early 12-1 favorite for the Derby, but Nashwan was now being quoted not far behind him at 20-1. On Saturday, May 6, 1989, a day when American racing fans were watching Sunday's silence defeat Easy Goer in the Kentucky Derby, European racing fans had gathered earlier that day at Newmarket to see Nashwan win the English 2000 Guineas. It was his three-year-old debut and his first start in seven months, and he would run the fastest edition of the race since the advent of electronic timing in 1952. Being the son of a champion miler, the win in the 2000 Guineas was not unexpected. But next would be the Epsom Derby at a mile and a half. Nashwan's sire, blushing groom, had failed to stay the distance in his own attempt at the Derby and had finished third. But others pointed to Nashwan's maternal grandsire, Bustino, who had won the classic St. Ledger Stakes at a mile and three quarters. And so on June 7, 1989, Nashwan went to the post as the 5-4 favorite for the 210th running of the Epsom Derby. They race down toward the two-furlong marker, and the duel we expected is materializing. And it's Nashwan that goes on. It's Nashwan and Willie Carson, a length ahead of Kakamitis and Greville Starkey. A furlong and a half to go in the derby, and Nashwan has it. Kakamitis in second place, and back in third is Terrymon. But inside the final furlong, Nashwan provides an electrifying burst of speed. It's a one-horse race. Willie Carson is the drive position. Nashwan wins it easily. At the line, Nashwan is the winner. Nashwan had become the first horse since the great Najinsky some 19 years earlier to win both the Guineas and the Derby. Chalky Willie Carson remarked, he's a racing machine, brilliant. He has class, speed, and stamina. Mary Jean Wall of the Lexington Herald Leader described him as a powerful chestnut colt who glides with the strides of a big cat. Perhaps the most memorable quote came from Hearn, who when asked if he had been concerned whether or not Nashwan would handle the off-camber and undulating terrain at Epsom, remarked, this horse could gallop down the side of a house. On July 7th, Nashwan faced older horses for the first time in the Eclipse Stakes at Sandown Park at a mile and a quarter. Trailing 200 to one pace setter, opening burst by eight lengths with three furlongs to go, Nashwan rallied for the win and became the first horse in 50 years to win the Guineas, the Derby, and the Eclipse in the same season. Given that he was the two to five favorite that day, one commentator remarked, not even on the stock exchange can you earn 40% on your money in two minutes. On July 22, 1989, Nashwan ran his career record to six wins and six starts by capturing the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth stakes at Ascot as the 2-9 favorite. In the process, he became the first horse in history to win the 2000 Guineas, the Epsom Derby, the Eclipse Stakes, and the King George in the same season. Choosing to skip the St. Ledger in September and a chance at the Triple Crown, Nashwan instead was pointed for Francis Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. But he suffered his first career defeat in a prep race for the Arc, finishing third in France behind Golden Pheasant, and he was retired from racing a few weeks later. Sent to stallion duty at Shadwell's English base of operations, Nashwan was perhaps best known as the sire of Swain who won back-to-back editions of the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Stakes in the late 1990s. He also sired Bago, winner of the Ark in 2004. 
Nashwan died following complications from surgery at the age of 16 in July of 2002. Rick Nichols, Vice President and General Manager of Shadwell, Kentucky, once recalled Nashwan's days as a youngster on the farm, saying he was energetic and liked to get down on his knees and wrestle the other colts. He added that having a classic winner come off the farm from its first crop of foals meant a great deal. As Nichols noted at the time, it's one thing to build a farm, it's another matter entirely to have a producing farm. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Dell Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twins Buyers on HRRN. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires, download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Deep in the heart of horse country, from these Kentucky hills has sprung a legacy rivaled by few. From the all-time greats of yesterday to the breed-shaping bloodlines of today, our roots hold strong with the promise of tomorrow. For over a century, our passion has guided us to where we stand and everything we stand for. Claiborne Farm. The tradition continues. Sam Houston Race Park is your best bet for thoroughbred racing every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Plus special events for the whole family. And of course, live music, dining, and drink specials only at Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Flavie and Pratt brings Nysos outside of them in seven for a half mile. And now it's Nysos and Stronghold who are together on the lead. And back into third is Tejon Pass. Mission Beach has given way, and they're into the stretch. And under a hand ride, Nysos and Flavian Pratt come by the eighth pole and begin to lengthen their lead. Without being asked to run, Nysos by three, Nysos by four, Nysos by five. Nysos in the Bob Hope wins with style. Looking good. Won it easily over Stronghold and Tejon Pass in a final time of 121.71.
Nisos making it look easy in the grade three Bob Hope at Del Mar last November. Larry Colmas had the call. The son of Nyquist is one of several top three-year-olds remaining with Hall of Fame trainer Bob Baffert despite not being allowed to compete in this year's Kentucky Derby. Dale and Tim weigh in on those decisions. Plus, would it be right or wrong to assume the Derby winner is racing somewhere later today? And have we already seen the top feel-good story of 2024? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin and all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu slash equine. A huge weekend of thoroughbred racing, four derby points races, multiple Oaks point races on the docket, and several other really good stakes across the country. And guys, I thought it would be fun to start with a couple of rounds of a game that we like to play every once in a while here on the show that I call like it, love it, or hate it. So I will pose a couple of topics to you. You guys will tell me if you like it, if you love it, or if you absolutely hate it. And we'll start with this one. The deadline for all derby hopefuls, trained by Bob Baffert to be moved to other trainers, came and went this past week. The owners of many of those horses, which include grade one winners, Muth and Prince of Monaco, have drawn a line in the sand, opting to keep their horses with Baffert, which in all likelihood is going to prevent them from competing in this year's Kentucky Derby. So I'll ask you, do you like, love, or hate this stance taken by Baffert's owners? Dale, let me start with you on this one. I like it. I mean, it shows some loyalty to him, and he he got him to this point. And it's, at this point, it's just become a grudge match between him and Churchill. I think Churchill, I've said many times, needs to drop it, get over it. He did his time, let him back. Uh, here's an interesting scenario to think about, though. What if he wins and all the preps out there? What if he runs first and second in the Santa Anita Derby? Those points are not given to the horses that run second or behind him. They're just They just disappear. We're going to have a Kentucky Derby with no California horses. I, I love it. It's uh, Like Dale said, it's, it's the loyalty factor, and these owners are saying enough is enough. They're, this guy, Bob Baffert, has served his time, and it's, it's time for Churchill Downs to get over this uh, power trip they have with this. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're making it like they're God. You know, they're, they're the God of horse racing, and, and I guess the – they can do what they want at their track, but to keep the guy out that is always a major player in the three-year-old division, guy that's won two triple crowns, that's insane. You 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 want they 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 talk about the Kentucky Derby being the biggest race on American soil, and yet they're not allowing the guy that usually is the major player to compete in it. It's just ridiculous, and I applaud the owners for saying we're going to stick with them, even though they're going to end up saying they're, they're going to end up not being able to play in the biggest race of of the year. You know, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see if Churchill changes their mind on this. I don't think they will, but 
You know, I, I really think it's the right thing that his owners are doing that they're sticking with him like this. Let me go back to something that Dale mentioned just a moment ago because I think it's very significant, and I don't want to gloss over it. But, Dale, you're saying that if Bob's horses are to win any of the prep races, for example, let's say Nysos wins the Robert B. Lewis today, um, the horse that comes in second, if it's not trained by Bob Baffert, is not awarded first place points because Nysos is still not eligible to earn any points. I was sitting here at uh, Xavier's Smoke Shop smoking a cigar with Scott Hazelton yesterday, and we made a call into Churchill to find out what would happen with the points. So that's uh, that's what they've told me. They said the points do not go to second place. The points just disappear. And just think about that. You could end up not having a California horse. It sure seems like it watered down the Kentucky Derby. Woo. Yeah, that's huge. That That is a, a, a huge stipulation in this whole thing. Um so a horse that finishes third, for example, if Baffert runs 1-2, a horse that finishes third is only awarded the third-place points, correct? That's all he gets, third-place wow. points. Wow. Timmy, I saw some things on social media this week after the, the news came out that the owners were going to keep their horses with Bob Baffert, and people were on both sides of the fence as to whether whether or not this diminishes the Kentucky Derby or uh, or at least Churchill's position here in their, their fight with Bob Baffert, or if it enhances their reputation that they're saying, hey, you know what, we're still not going to let Bob Baffert compete and we're protecting the brand and we're protecting the Kentucky Derby and the legacy and all these types of things. How do you view it? Does it diminish it or does it enhance the Kentucky Derby? Well, well he's already served his time. Um, what, what else is he supposed to do? I mean, you, 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 you got the penalty, you took it like a man, you served the, the time, now you should be able to go back and, and do what you were doing. For Churchill not to allow that to happen is just ridiculous, and I just don't understand why. It's obviously a personal vendetta they have with Bob. And, you know, to keep the guy – and say what you want about Bob Baffert. He can train horses. He can train three-year-olds. He's proven it time and time again. I mean, this just tells me that – you know, maybe the Triple Crown isn't going to start until the Preakness, and there's only going to be two legs of it this year when his horses are able yeah. to run. They're not a regulatory body. The regulatory body gave him his days. He did his days. It's uh, it, To me, it's ridiculous. And if we're all going to be united and we're going to have one regulatory body and we'll want all the rules the same all over the country, you can't be the same. If you got Heisa doing uh, setting a set of rules, you got to play by those rules, whether you're the house or you're the player. It, it, there's there's no uniformity if, if if a racetrack can come up with house rules or decide who they want in the game or out of the game. It, it's ridiculous, I think, and it's time to get over it. I think it, it drastically diminishes the Kentucky Derby this year, and it may in the future if they're going to stick to their stance. Do you guys see any scenario where over the next four to six weeks, let's say, Churchill changes their minds on this and says, look, we these are big-name horses for the integrity of the race, the Kentucky Derby, we need these horses in the 150th run for the Roses. Do you see any scenario where that happens? I don't. I think there's too many egos in play right now. Everybody just needs to check their ego and go back to the rules and follow the rules and let Bob Baffert back. I'd love to see it happen. I don't think it will um, for the reasons Dale just said. There's, you know, These guys are – they're, it's, it's their ball, and they're going to keep the ball, and they're not going to go home. They're going to keep it the way it is. And um, and it, it's, it's sad, and, it's, uh, and the people that lose out are the horse racing fans. 
Yep. Well, those are some big-name horses that, at this point, are not going to be competing in the run for the Roses. They will be eligible for the Preakness, for the Belmont Stakes, but not the Kentucky Derby coming up on the first Saturday in May. All right, topic number two for like it, love it, or hate it. Churchill Downs also announced this week that they will be drawing the fields for this year's Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby on the Saturday prior to the race, the full seven days out. For the first time ever, the draw will be open to the public as part of the opening night festivities of Churchill Downs Spring Meet on Saturday evening, April 27th. Tim Wilkin, like it, love it, or hate it? Uh, hate's a strong word, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm piling on Churchill Downs, but I don't like it. Um, I think the draw should stand on its own, just like I think opening night at Churchill Downs should stand on its own. Uh, if you have the draws, I don't know how they're going to schedule these draws. Is it before the races? Is it during the races? Is it at some point in, during, after the races? Um, I think that the, it, it'll take away from opening night at Churchill Downs. And I think that uh, I understand why they want to do it on Saturday. They want to give people another couple of days to be able to handicap the race. But um, to me, it just gets lost. I remember when they had it years ago down at 4th Street, Louisville. And I think the public was allowed to hang around for that. And it was uh, kind of a little Mardi Gras kind of feel to it. Um, yeah, I'm all for letting people, letting the general public be part of stuff like this. But for this, I think for this, I think that uh, the Derby draw and Oak draw should stand on its own and, uh, and not be held uh, during the races. Well, I disagree with you, Tim. I, I love it. I think that it's going to be a good add to the night of opening night. I think it's a, a good concept. They're going to do it during the races, for what my research tells me, and they're going to, you know, to be on the big board. Everybody can watch it, and it's not going to be stuck in the back corner with just the owners and trainers participating. I think it's a good thing. I like it. I, I love it. I think it's going to be really good for the opening night. It'll add to the festivities. The opening night, there's always fun. You know, they have a great night racing anyway. And, I think this will just add to it. I just wish Baffert was going to be able to be a part of it. Well, Dale, we'll just say, I'll just live vicariously through you, and you'll have, you'll have to have a horse in it for this year. I hope one comes around. You never know. Still, still got time. Yeah, you do. I'll say this. I love that they're going to draw the races a full week out, um, especially for a race of this caliber. We see it happen with racetracks like Gulfstream Park, for example. But when you have – a race like the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby, um, man, getting those PPs in your hands as early as possible to me, I, I think that's a fantastic move on their part. I, I love that part of the story. I do too. I like that part, but I just don't like the part of it being involved with the opening night at Churchill Downs, the races that are going on. I just don't, I don't like it. Sue me. I think it'll be fun. <laughs> I think it'll be fun. All right, let's you move on. That was like it, love it, or hate it. I'll throw some more topics at you guys in the future, and we'll see if you guys like them, if you love them, if you hate them. Uh, we'll see if Dale and Tim end up on opposite sides of the fence again. It's always fun when they do. But I have to get to topic number two here, uh, subject matter number two, if you will. Uh, it comes via email from Brad in Winnipeg, Manitoba, who is a longtime listener of the show, really enjoys it, and he sends in a couple of questions for you guys. He wants to know, Occasionally, when he's watching races, he will notice that a rider appears to stop riding their horse prior to the finish line. And if this is determined to be true, how do stewards 
handle those situations? Are are riders fined? Are they suspended? Are are they given days? Brad wants to know what is the protocol. Dale, you want it first? Yeah, I mean, if they just if they if it's a flagrant thing where they just stand up and quit riding before the wire, then then they have been riders suspended. There's been riders fined. All the above. What he's talking about, Brad. It's a good question, but. A rider could always say he didn't like the way his horse was moving or he thought he was out of horse. There was no reason to abuse the horse. You're in a catch-22 in that spot. But, you know, there's some riders that have uh, notoriously have done that over the years, and, and not to mention any names, but it's happened to me a couple of times, and it's very frustrating. But when they come back and say, I didn't like the way he was moving at the end, I eased up on him, you really don't have a big argument. But there have been cases where jockeys have been penalized for doing that, especially if they just get to pose and they think they're further in front than they are and they get to pose and put a picture and they get nailed on the wires. They'll, they'll find them. And they should. I mean, they should. A lot of money riding on it. Is it only a fine, Dale, or is there a suspension and days given as well? That's just up to the stewards what they're going to do. I think if it becomes a, a habit of a jockey, they'll suspend them. And, you know, they'll do it all, whatever it takes to, to get them to not do it again. And if it, if it looks like the horse is fine, they should have kept riding them. You know, they'll, they've suspended jockeys before. Tim Wilkin, what do you think? You know, when there's a, when there's a rider that's a little doing a little showboating coming down the lane and, like Dale says, he's getting ready to have his picture taken. He does, uh, you know, stands up and starts waving his whip and stops riding if he gets nailed on the wire. Yeah, that's bad. That's real bad. But if, you know, you got a guy that really thinks that there's something wrong with his horse, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, riders that, uh, you know, in, in the last uh, 100 yards or something like that are are starting to, you don't see it that much. But, you know, it, you, know you see it at the top of the stretch, horses, you know, is is – you know, struggling, and a, and the, the conscientious jockeys will wrap up on them. They don't want to hurt the horse. They don't want to. If they feel something, they don't want to get the horse hurt. And I get that. Um, but I guess there's there are instances when you know jockeys don't do make the right decision, and yeah, they should be penalized for that. When how you know, closely, it's a, how closely guys do the stewards look watch for that during the running of a race? Oh, they watch close. They watch everything. You know, there's there's uh, one watching live, one watching TV. You know, they they keep a close eye on everything going on. Yes, so if they, they do. see that. I mean, they they make. There's nothing they can do to make a change for the gambler, but they can call. It. And then the day after a race, if they have anything suspicious, if there's an inquiry, if there's bumping going on, they have what they call films the morning before the next day's card. All the jockeys have to come in and they watch the films with the stewards and they discuss what happened. And that's where they would take care of something like that. You used to call it the movies. Yep, they go to the movies. Yep. Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. We appreciate it. He has a part two for you guys as well, and this one uh, much more lighthearted, if you will. He wants to know some of your favorite tracks to watch and to bet their races. And, Dale, I know you're not a, a huge better, but what what tracks do you enjoy watching? I like Keeneland, Churchill Downs, uh Saratoga, I like if you get a good seat. It's always crowded, but Churchill's my favorite. I've been in Section 1, 319 since I can remember, since I was a little kid. I used to watch on the steps, and finally they gave me the box there on that corner where I always stood. So there's no place like 319 at Churchill Downs. Timmy? 
I love watching races on the roof at Saratoga. I think Dale, I brought you up there once, didn't I? Oh yeah, I watched the race with you up there. That's a nice I mean, spot. That, that that is the greatest view at Saratoga. To um, you know, I mean, you got a great view of the whole track, and um, there's nothing like that. I wish that uh, everyone could experience that, but obviously they can't. And you know, I like watching races at Pimlico. People might think I'm crazy, but you know, there's something about that old barn that uh, is really appealing to me. Watching the the horses run down that historic stretch, and um, you know, I could name probably five, six, seven other tracks. But I'm going to leave it at those two right now. But one that's really coming up uh, in my standings is Kentucky Downs. I love that place, even though it's hard to uh, really get a a feel of what the riders are doing because you're so it's so far away until they're coming down the stretch. But I love Kentucky Downs. Timmy, have you ever had the chance to – you talk about being on the roof at Saratoga. Have you ever had the chance to watch a race standing outside of Kurt Becker's booth at Keeneland on that platform that overlooks the rolling hills in the countryside in Lexington? I've been to Keeneland, but I've never had that great opportunity. I'm sure it sounds like you have. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and the other one that stands out to me we haven't mentioned yet is Santa Anita. Um, I Ooh, yeah. Sitting there looking at the San Gabriel Mountains, especially when they have some snow caps at the top, just incredible. Uh, that, to me, is one of the greatest venues for thoroughbred racing anywhere in the world. Santa Anita is a good one. That is a great one. I haven't done it enough, but I, I love watching race Santa Anita. You know where it's difficult? I think Kentucky Downs is a difficult place to watch a race because they are so far away. But Belmont yeah. is a difficult place to watch a race. I mean, that's, those mile-and-a-half racetracks are just hard to see. And yeah. the television coverage is getting better and better. So I like sitting in the boxes at Belmont. you got the TV in front of you where you can do both. But when, when the racetrack's that big and that far away, it's hard to watch them. It is and that Kentucky Downs, man. When the sun hits, when the sun hits that track at a certain time of day, you can't see anything. Yep, I can't believe Aqueduct didn't make your list, guys. I love Aqueduct. <laughs> you know, I've actually, in all honesty, I've never been to Aqueduct. That is one track I've never been to. Uh, well, you're missing out. You, you go there in the middle of the winter. You got hardcore gamblers, and uh, it's just a fun atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, you better it, it run sounds good like though. They'll yell at you. They'll yell at you afterwards if you don't run good. Don't let a jockey <laughs> stand up for the wire there. He will get crucified on the way back. <laughs> yes, he will. Yeah. Did, did you ever run into that Dale when you ran a horse in New York at any of the racetracks? Because let's face it, New York horse players and sports fans—they're a, a hardy breed. They'll they'll give it to you. I think I told a story on here before of Saratoga walking back and the guy's yelling down at me, go back to Ellis Park where you belong. You're burning up money. And I went looking for him. I was mad. I wanted to fight. And I tell you, the next race, Wayne Lucas walked into the the the, the uh, racing office there and he said, he's laughing. I said, what's so funny? He said, the guy yelled down at me, go back to quarter horses. You're burning up money. I said, well, that was the difference in our maturity, the way he handled it and the way I did. Probably the same guy. It was the same guy. It had to be. He said the same exact thing to both of us. Evidently, he bet on both of us, and we didn't run any good. I want to get that guy on the show. Well, I know, yeah. That's a true <laughs> New Yorker. We'll ring the bell. Ding, ding. We'll have uh, Dale in one corner, and that guy in the other corner. It'll be fantastic. A steel cage match here on the, on I Ask the Answer. All right, we have to get to our right or wrong segment here, guys. A couple of topics for you here um, as we welcome our good friend Nick Zito to the program, and you get to tell me if the following statements are right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? 
Tim, I'll come to you first on this one. The winner of the 150th Kentucky Derby is racing somewhere today. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? I think you're wrong. Um, it's February 3rd. Um, there's a long way to go to the first Saturday in May. And I know that fierceness is running in the Holy Bull. And a lot of people have fierceness on top of their list for, you know, the favorite for the Kentucky Derby. And he's, he deserves it after winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. But we know that history has not been kind to winners from the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You know, there's 38 horses running in the southwest of Withers, the Lewis, and the Holy Bull. I just think, to me, historically, if you go through all those races, you're not seeing a whole lot of horses that have come out and won the uh, Kentucky Derby. If you started the Southwest, the last one that did it was Marty Jones in 04. Lily T won it. Essential Quality was the favorite in the he won it in the 2021, finished third, but the favorite in the Derby finished third. I mean, the Withers has never really had a horse that uh, came on and won the Derby. The Lewis, I mean, it's the Bob Baffert Invitational. He's won, won it 11 times, including the last five. He's going to have the big favorite in Nisos today. But, uh, you know, because of the gods of Churchill Downs, won't let him run. So the winner's a... Uh, I, I can't imagine the winner of the Lewis is going to come out. He's got three, five and three in that race. I can't imagine the winner of the, the Lewis is going to be the Derby winner because it's probably going to be a Baffert. And then, you know, you got the Holy Bull. We've already talked about fierceness. Um, the last, there's been three winners. There's been three horses that came out of the Holy Bull and won the Derby. Two of the winners, Barbara in 06, go for Jen in 94. And Funny Side was fifth in that race and won the Derby in 2003. So I don't think that we're going to – I think there's some horses, that some good horses will come out of these races and might do some good down the line, but it's still too early for me to say that the Kentucky Derby's, Derby winner is running on February 3rd. I want to say that you you could be right in this situation. I like the fact that guys bring fierceness out early. I think that shows a lot of confidence in that the horse is doing really well and he didn't need a lot of time between the Breeders' Cup and his next start. Um, like you say, you throw out to Bob Lewis – we're probably going to lose that race. and uh, But you could be right. If Fierceness is the horse that everybody thinks he is, and I like the fact that Todd's starting back early, I think that's a positive for Fierceness. All right, here's one more for you guys. Eight-year-old Henley's Joy returned to the winner's circle for the first time in, get this, four and a half years this past week at Gulfstream Park, ending a 34-race losing streak. If I were to say that story should be considered the feel-good story of the year in thoroughbred racing right now. Give him the trophy. Hand it to him today. It's over. Would I be right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Dale? I'm going to say you're wrong on that one. I'll give him the feel-good story of January, but not for the whole year. Something good will come along with it. You know, we're not going to have a Cody Dorman story, but I might not ever have one again. But uh, that's a, that was a good story. It does feel good, and we'll give him January, not the whole year. You know, I think that, you know, there's a long way to go in the year, too. This is a cool story. I mean, the horse hasn't won in 1,600 some odd days, and he comes back and, and wins this race. And the trivia question for this, Dale, you should know this one. Who's the sire 
of this horse? Hmm, I don't know. You got to tell me. Kitten's joy. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah, well, then maybe it is a feel-good story of the year. I like it better now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because this horse has run in his career 15 different <laughs> tracks. I mean, this, this horse goes all over the place. And, you know, the fact that, uh, yeah, to come off of a four-year drought of winning a race and doing it at age eight, um, it's a cool, cool story. Uh I don't know if this will be, you know, the heart, most heartwarming story of the year, but it's going to be a feel-good story for sure. And I hope hope this horse goes on and does some good things and stays healthy for number one. And, um, you know, it's good to see the old-timers still being able to do it. He yeah, started his career with my, my dear friend Jeff Bloom and his Bloom Racing Stables and then uh, was sold and uh, or claimed and went on to – uh, other things, but Henley's joy returning to the winner's circle after four and a half years is certainly one hell of an accomplishment. Congratulations to all the connections of the eight-year-old. Uh, wonderful story coming out of Gulfstream this past week. We'll bring right or wrong back on the program next Saturday, as we do every week, but guys, we're closing in on our one final point of the week. Before I get to that, Dale, quickly, I wanted to ask you about a horse that you can recall that has made a big comeback like that hadn't won in a while and then all of a sudden jumped up and put it all together can you recall one of those in your career uh, john not a, my personally that i haven't had one i can think of but you know john henry was off for a while and nobody thought he was coming back he came back and won and it was a great sea biscuit everybody wrote him off once and he came back everybody seen the movie or read the book and and he came back and won the santa anita handicap so i don't know if it was that long three years a long time in a horse's life yeah, DeHaas was a cool one, too. Well, it is yeah. a cool story. We always end up talking yeah. about DeHaas when we talk about these things. We do. He always comes That's to mind. But Henley's Joy, yeah. Henley's Joy, what he pulled off was pretty remarkable. So that, that was really yeah. cool. All right, it is time in the show to wrap it up, and we have Dale and Tim making their final point of the week. Timmy, going to come to you first with this one, my friend. What is your final point on this Saturday morning? Well, I've been doing a slow burn here for a couple months now, waiting for my chance for redemption. And I want to know when we're going to have this next challenge of our horse stables. Be careful what you wish for, Tim. Be careful no, no, what no, you wish no, for. No, 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 no. You, you, you sit back in the back row right now, my friend. I want I want <laughs> that. All right. And I want to know when we're going to do it. Yeah. Dale, he's going to knock you all the way back to Ellis Park where you belong. <laughs> exactly. Let's wait till Ellis starts. I'll be good down there. I'll pick all claimant horses. <laughs> we'll well, work on that, Timmy. We'll, we we're going to bring it back. We're going to have the showdown three. And, uh, boy, Dale's going to take some beating, though, after that wide margin victory in the showdown two. But, hey, the series is tied one-to-one. -one, so this is the, right. the rubber match. That's what it yeah, should be. That's what it should be built at. Yep. Timmy did win the warm up. <laughs> the warm up. Go back to Ellis Park. Come on. <laughs> Dale, what's your final point of the week? My final point is, you know, the Jockey Club. And I've been as critical as anybody, but they've hired McKenzie Consulting Firm to do a major study on catastrophic injuries in our game and try to figure out what we can do to help. I think that's a great thing, and I think if you, whether you love, like, or hate the Jockey Club, everyone should get involved. They will give you a call, talk to them. Let's uh, let's let them do some work and see what happens. I think and, that was an interesting thing. 
anything we can do for horse welfare is certainly certainly a good thing and certainly welcome. Guys, I really appreciate it again this morning. We're going to do it all over again next Saturday. Good luck at the windows, Timmy. And, guys, enjoy the weekend. Dale, go get it done. Let's go win some races. All right, buddy. Talk to you all later. Bye. See you. All right. If you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, just do what Brad in Manitoba did this week and send your question to us, Mike at horseracingradio.net. You can also post it on our social media pages at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and we'll work it into the show moving forward for you. I Ask the Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. I'm William Shatner, and I've been around a long time, but I'm truly humbled when I see the real battles our brave, paralyzed veterans have faced defending our freedom and when they come home. I had just come home from serving over in Germany. Next thing I know, it was three weeks later. I was paralyzed. While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. I broke my neck. It left me paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was on a routine patrol, and uh, we were in the desert of Kuwait, and the vehicle flipped and landed on top of me, which uh, left me paralyzed from the waist down. Okay, folks, this, this, this is heroism. That's why I'm proud to support Paralyzed Veterans of America, because they've kept their promise to never leave a fallen soldier behind. A roof over the heads, accessible homes, cars, jobs, benefits. PBA has brought me back to life. Show them their sacrifice hasn't been in vain. Go to pva.org to learn how you can make a difference. Dear Vet Ticks, it was nice to spend the night with my daughter and other veterans. It's so humbling to attend an event when you feel appreciated. I had a wonderful time with my family. Thank you for the memories, Vet Ticks. Dear Vet Ticks, thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, Vet Ticks. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert, game, or special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran or a service member. By giving your extra tickets to Vet Ticks, you'll help America's heroes reduce stress, strengthen family bonds, and create a truly happy memory that will last a lifetime. So when you really want to say thank you for your service, give the experience. Give the memory. Vetex. Give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to vetex.org. Trainer Talk, presented by Phasing Tipton. Please join me in welcoming Hall of Fame trainer Todd Fletcher. Hall of Fame trainer Nick Zito on Trainer Talk. Welcome Hall of Famer Bob Baffert to the program. Hall of Fame trainer Shug McGahee, nice enough to spend some time with us. Hall of Fame trainer Bill Mott here on Trainer Talk. Dual Hall of Fame trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer Talk, the biggest names in horse racing. Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Sirius 162, XM 207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. 
You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, remember that the February issue of Blood Horse features 140-plus pages, including several top stories and Blood Horse Market Watch reviewing 2023 purses. You can download a copy now from the Blood Horse Magazine app via the App Store or Google Play, or subscribe today and receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar. That's a $24.95 value, and it's absolutely free. Go to bloodhorse.com slash H-R-R-N. That's bloodhorse.com slash H-R-R-N. Some fun topics there with Dale and Tim. Great conversations, including that conversation about the situation involving Bob Baffert and his owners saying, you know what, we're not moving our horses. We're going to bypass the Kentucky Derby if that's what it takes. And make no mistake about it, that is some of the biggest owners in the game drawing a line in the sand with Churchill Downs and saying, no, we're not putting up with this anymore. We feel like Bob has served his time and he deserves to be running. And we're willing to skip the Kentucky Derby if that's what it takes in order to make a point. Those actions speak louder than those words. I can promise you that. All right, my thanks to all of our guests for being with me on today's program, including Vance Hansen with the Twin Spires Triple Play, Kurt Becker with the weekly stroll through racing history, and Dale and Tim in the previous segment. You heard from Brad Cox, Robbie Medina earlier in the show, the Hall of Famer John Velasquez. So much great content. If you missed any of it, go back and check out the podcast, Horse Racing Radio. You can listen at your leisure, and you can do that, too, on every podcast platform. Follow us on social media, at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina, in our Lexington studio, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening. Uh, Go Steelers. It's a brand new year.